right, so this is part two of our retrospective on perspective, uh, our end of the year podcast for Agile After Dark. Uh, we talk about quite a few things in terms of architecture and data, roadmaps and the product, and transformation. Hope you guys enjoy it and uh, have a good end of your year. And this is what we do here on Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses Agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams-Woodford. Over there is Brandon Gartley, and I think she's a permanent part of the podcast, Brandon. Do you yep. agree? Co-co-host, for sure. Co-co-host, it's not for Connie. sure. It's not Connie. will show no, it's not Connie. Later. Not Connie, for sure. But she's it's the Co-co-co-co-host. Jess Galwisia. Yep, you nailed it. Yes, 100%. <laughs> She's very... How did he do it? It's, he does it every time. It's, it's amazing. Galwiskia. It says it right here. Galwiskia. <laughs> somewhere on here. What is that? Yeah. How, how do you pronounce your last name exactly? Gastelis. Gastelis. Yeah. You still didn't say it right, but that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. It's Morgan, them. party of four. We've been and, on this. And, and Morgan. Yeah. And we have a special guest. What? Back, back in the heartland after being away for a little I while. I know. I missed Woo-woo. him so much. I know. He lives downstairs, but he visits upstairs many times. Like the upstairs. Downstairs, downstairs. downstairs, downstairs. downstairs. You're very British of you. So you're you're the servant, is what he's trying to say. Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. You're the downstairs, not the upstairs. All right. Well, glad Steve glad Thomas. To be back. Steve Thomas is Steve back. Steve Thomas in the house, which is very apropos because one of the first things we're going to talk about is DevOps. Really? Are yes. we going back to that thing again? Well, this is hey, this is check yourself before you wreck yourself. A retrospective on perspective. Is this part two or one? Part two. I can't remember. So in part one, you may or may not remember, uh, we kind of talked about, hey, how did we come up with this crazy, the crazy kids came up with this idea of Agile After Dark and uh, kind of what was our, our main idea behind it, which is, you know, basically, hey, let's look at the Agile world. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the things that talked about, you know, every day and look at it from a different angle. Then we talked a little bit about kind of the, you know, some of the debt that comes into the world that we work in, whether it's management, whether it's technical, what have you. Uh, and then the last thing that we kind of covered was really covering the team. So developers as creatives, pair programming, um, you know, building teams over individuals. So it was a really good episode. So if, if for some reason you're coming into episode two before you come to episode one, I highly recommend that uh, you check it out. Sounds dreadful to me. <laughs> Boring and dreadful. DevOps. I mean, DevOps, because you have a more depressing term. DevOps. It sounds like a, like a murder mystery or maybe a Marvel comic. I mean, is that true, Steve, or is there something more interesting? Because, by the way, I do hear it a lot, and it seems to be, let's be honest, it does seem to be a part of more and more of the discussion around and connected to the agile approach to doing things. It has been, and that's what we talked about in that particular episode, is that you know it's a term that's been just co-opted by everybody. Everybody loved the term of mashing those you know dev, dev developers and ops together. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is that hardly, very few companies are actually getting that far. It is aspirationally fantastic where you want to get to, but um, the acid test always is, you know, do you have ops in the equation? If you don't have ops, you don't really have DevOps. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that episode, I, I've said this to this group and other people, for newer coaches or people who are trying to understand that space, I definitely recommend that they kind of go. Basically, we could have clipped every single thing from that podcast. Uh, but like we did in the episode one, 
we wanted to take a few kind of key things from the from the different episodes. And so the first one, uh, which I thought was really apropos, um, is when Greg's like, "I don't care." What was this DevOps stuff? I, who care? Why should I care about this from a product standpoint? It's a cost. Yeah. Why are we doing this? So let's uh, let's play that clip and uh, see how the curmudgeon Greg uh, brought it up. Oh my gosh! The people who who really care about product, you know, and delivery, those are the people who are once they understand it, they're fantastic fans of it because it's all about how do I get the new product changes into my customers' hands faster um, and in uh, with higher quality and better, which is a big thing we'll get into. It's like here's everyone's thinking, oh wait a minute, if I release faster, I'm going to deliver crap out there. You know, but no, it's it's about getting it into your customers' hands faster, getting the feedback from your customers in a much faster way. So that's, but to, in order to do that, there is a huge aspect of tooling, um, as well as the organizational structure about how do we get all of these my dev people and my ops people working together. Oh God, tooling and and uh, it sounds very expensive, Steve. And I, I I'm telling you, I got I know excited you were thinking to about that, tools, you know, tooling like, and organization organizational changes. I mean, we're we're I know we're visiting something that we've already talked about, but uh, you know, let's just say that we got it. I think it's it's important to revisit this topic as Brandon scripted out for us as we see in the script here because i i have heard in the last three months the term devops used at least 10 times in a way that didn't actually mean devops or it was used in a way that meant one thing versus the five things that i think we describe it as being right right and that's the most common is we see it being used primarily as an abbreviation for continuous integration. Certainly, in the large corporations, you know they haven't they haven't been able to swallow continuous integration first, um, and they can't even get anywhere close to that. But you're right that everyone in a sales perspective, everyone's latched onto the term. You know, we as consulting companies are selling it left and right as, oh yeah, we're going to get you there. You know, the company's leadership you know, buys in. Oh, yeah, we're going to go. We're talking about they set up DevOps teams. They set up this and that. DevOps conferences. How many DevOps conferences are there out there now? I don't and know. And could there There's... be a bore mooring? I, I can't <laughs> imagine mooring, a more boring boring, boring, boring Yeah, those boring mooring conferences. Uh, yes. hey, we are drinking. Hey, yeah. let's bring that up right now, by the way. While we're talking about DevOps, I'm drinking a little bit of bourbon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brandon, what are you doing? Uh, I'm drinking a little uh, vodka soda. Okay. You missed the Powerade. Yeah, the Powerade no from power last time. Aid. I know. The brilliant I know, power I had to like, push through. What about you, Steve? Uh, I've got a rye bourbon. And uh, Jameson water this time instead of vodka. Oh, she switched it up. Water. Watered down Watch from out. I like to stay hydrated. Okay. Yeah, she likes so the more boring uh, or bore mooring uh, conferences. And I the, like bore mooring. Bore mooring. So those bore mooring conferences. I mean, I will say, I would imagine that in those conferences, they actually do talk about it. Yeah, in the well, right way. Actually, right? in do in, they? in, the, in yeah. the DevOps conferences, because yeah. I actually got a chance to present at uh, DevOps Charlotte. Of course, you did. Um, <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> and the folks there, they were. I mean, I was humbled just to be able to, because it was, 
as many or more ops people there than there were devs. Um, and so they really understood the tooling when, and you know, there, there's a whole different, of course, the ops people are far more in love with their tools mm -hmm. than even the dev people are, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, they, cause they live and die on tool tools and they were looking at, oh, there were all, so the tool vendors were the ones that were presented or were showcasing there. But, um, they, yeah, it was actually pretty interesting. I learned a lot from them and it was pretty humbling just to hear what it takes to really get ops in a, uh, ops deployed in a automated sort of fashion. So the ops part is very interesting because I think depending on our, we've, we've gotten to like 50 listeners since the last time we talked to you, by the way, it's <laughs> okay, like cool. unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's actually really taken off. Um, but for now that we have a variety of listeners, not everyone may understand what kind of the pressure and what ops does. And I think you did in the, in the podcast, you did a good job of kind of describing the pluses and minuses of being ops. So, uh, want to listen into that real quick. In the do, equation. Do we like ops people? I, I, I like, I'm oh, just I saying, love oh, ops people. I just feel bad. I like most, it sounds like money falling from the sky <laughs> ops what do they do i don't know what they do what do they do why do i care why should i love them oh you try right. they do get persecuted on, on, mm. on the budget side it's like yeah hey new functionality they don't they're not they keep your system alive and running um and so all the revenue that you're currently getting is because ops is keeping stuff alive and running um so if ops doesn't work oh my god everyone notices when ops does work Nobody notices. Which is totally spot on. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I've actually used that so many times where I'm like, the ops people are, should be invisible. But you know what? If they're invisible, that's good for you. Trust me, when they're not, that's, you're not in good shape. To me, it sounds like Lord of the Rings. Devs versus ops. <laughs> Systems. <keeps>. Orcs, orcs <laughs> versus elves. Alive and running. <laughs> Systems keep things alive and running. Right. Well, and that was always the hardest part with DevOps is that that's the cultural part. Is devs, of course, and we covered that in the podcast, mm -hmm. is devs are constantly incentivized and pressured to put more new functionality in. I need new features, new features, new features. I get that. When, are you, when will you get that released? And ops, on the other hand, is incentivized with a stable system. Keep it up and running. Well, the most stable system system is one that has zero new features. So there's a natural uh, antagonism between dev and ops. When you bring them together with this automated, with the tooling, with the cultural, you get some real magic happening for an organization. Like I said, Lord of the Rings, yes. magic happening. The magic. Systems are alive and running. Leroy <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, I think part of it is, so then, you know, the DevOps together, um, we kind of talked about in that podcast, kind of how developers look at ops people and how ops people look at developers. I kind of want to play that real quick because I think that's a, that was a really good kind of contrast of, of ways of looking at each other. Developers look at ops as, you're just a thorn in my side. You just put up the hand. You say, no, you've found all these reasons why we can't do it. That's what DevOps is about, is well, bringing the two together. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Like it, it, Naturally, we, were, we started this whole podcast about DevOps is this hot new word and so right. forth. But there had to be a reason. Right? Oh, absolutely. For, for getting yeah. into it. So 
it was the next natural stage for where agile, real agile teams to go. It's like, all right, we were doing continuous, you know, integration, but then it was piling up in a big batch for ops to finally let it go. You know, and how did you break that? The only way you can break that is to bring ops people into an agile mindset. And that's I, one of those. I want to cry. Like yeah, I mean, right that's one of those ones cry. where, again, since we did that podcast multiple times, I've been in front of people <laughs> talking about agile and DevOps and, and different things. And I've kind of looked at them and said, you know, you have the DevOps people looking at the developers saying, like, don't give me your crappy stuff. And the dev people are looking at the ops people like, I want to release my stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just kind of that constant conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And you right. have to understand where both of them are coming from. Right, right. They are both coming from a very natural place. You know, it's where they're, you know, rooted and grounded and where they're incentivized, you know, but understanding how that cultural clash comes together. And if you can bring that understanding to a team, even if they're pseudo DevOps, they're, mm-hmm. you know, but if you bring that understanding, you 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 can help them understand. Okay, why are we running into the conflicts we're running into? Right, right. And I, I wonder, kind of that that concept of bringing them together. One of the things that we talked about in the podcast, but I don't have the clip from, but that concept of pushing the button because we talked about it a few times mm-hmm. in that podcast, right. right? But the the concept of if you build a pipeline, you build like kind of the automated scripts, you get the CI into the CD and the other CD, if you will. Right. Um, you know. Being able for the developers to push that button, and there's that common understanding. It's both the power and the terror of being able to hit that button. Yeah, right. Right. And so power and terror. Right. Again, another like at least Peter Jackson sort sort of thing. Right. (laughs) But it is kind of when I'm now. How much do I trust? We talk in other podcasts, and we'll cover some of the things we talked about in terms of team's own quality. Right. Right. So that really does bring it to a forefront, right? Where yeah. if I'm Are you serious about owning quality? If you're serious about it, that means you're ready to hit that button. You're hit the, you're going to hit the magic button and put it into production and guess what? Your grandmother is going to be disappointed when it doesn't work. <laughs> That's you right. Know, are you really are you serious? Right? You, know, okay. you might get caned. Perhaps. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or she might not get her porn. I don't know <laughs> which one it's going to be. It's one of the two things. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, just, who runs the internet? Let's be honest, okay? <laughs> who cares about quality uptime more than porn? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> By the way, the first time I ever had an and this is a true story. The first time I worked at KnowledgeNet, we went down to to level <laughs> level. We went down to level three, and we went to the the, the server farm. And there was our little servers in a little cage. Like, we had four or five of them in this little, like, cage thing. And then there was this gigantic thing that was, like, three stories tall. And we were like, what the hell is that? And they were like, porn. (laughs) That's porn. And we're like, holy crap. (laughs) So, (laughs) when I was working at the cable company, yes, you know, they had different levels of their their network security. And the, the most high restricted one, and I actually... One of the guys I worked with had an office down in that area. It was in the blue section, you know, the blue, blue network section. section. You, had to, yeah. you actually had to badge in separately from, you know, one which, you know, had access to 
I mean, the folks that I was working with routinely had access to, you know, the orange, the red, and the green networks. You know, and then there was the black network, but then the blue network. That was the one. Blue. Yeah. Network. And, yeah, they put security on a whole different level. Yeah. 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 Well, so if we're going to talk about <laughs> – Large Let's things, see where goes from towers, here. and different accesses. Towers. <laughs> Tall towers, hard towers. <laughs> this is what you get for Agile After Dark. It's After Dark, people. <laughs> oh, we miss Connie. Uh, so one of the things that came up in that podcast was... Um, all right, so you're going to try and release things, but what if you're part of a larger organization, right? What if you're part of a large financial institution, HMPS, government, big box, mm-hmm. whatever, right. right? And one of the key distinctions we talked about is the two CDs, mm, right? right? Uh, deployment and delivery. Right, right, right. yeah. And, and the bad thing was on that particular podcast, I got them reversed. Oh, uh, no, no yeah. in one part you did, in one part you didn't. Uh, okay. so, I'm yeah. surprised he's back as yeah. a guest. I was, just, I you was know. ashamed. I was deeply <laughs> ashamed. Um, but, you know, we kind of want to talk about how DevOps can really be used for good and, and not evil. So let's listen to that. And that's why there's a difference between continuous deployment, which is I'm deploying it out to a production server, but not turning it on. And I'm, I'm taking it through some other uh, testing before I say, yeah, let's go live with this and a continuous delivery. You know, so some companies can do continuous delivery where I'm putting it into live production, you know, in an automated fashion. But uh, many other companies are going to, all right, I can take it through all of these types of testing, put it into deployment. And there's a whole separate uh, science of how you know how do I deploy it to a production environment and not have it live, but that's where they want to be able to those systems you know get the same inputs that the live system is getting. We did this in telecom. You know, we you know in telecom we need you know five nine six nine reliability. You don't put crappy software out there and expect you know because we've only got six nine reliability. We've only got for any given piece of equipment six minutes of downtime a year. That's not much. So you want a system that's going to be, you know, uh, in production like that's receiving the same inputs from production, generating the outputs, but they're not real, right? So that you can basically shadow. So there's a your safeguard production. there. Yes, yeah. right. So so some so, systems are going to definitely do that. So there's two CDs, Greg. You want to emphasize that. I think so, and by the way, I sound very smart on this podcast. Mm. <laughs> um, but no, it's true, and I think the important part about that is to emphasize, um, to, because I think it's really an important point, is that you can, the continuous integration part is, is sort of the team level That's, thing, right, where they're doing the continuous integration. Uh, CD is also integrating into that first level pipeline strategy the second continuous delivery is how do you actually deliver to a customer? I mean, that's a much bigger because there are standards, there are safeguards, there are, you know, there's a lot that goes into that first. For instance, a large financial uh, uh, company would say, we've got, you have to go through all of these gates for us to actually deploy, right? Right. To a customer, even though you've got all of your technology in a line. What are we going to do to regulate to make sure that everything passes our tests? 
Right, exactly. And and that is one of the areas where you know, I flip the two continuous deployment and continuous delivery. We deliver, you know, after continuous integration, we're delivering to those production-like uh, okay. or production systems okay. um, and keeping I just it wanted to point out when you made a mistake. Oh, Again, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm here Back for. to the Buckeye versus this, this Michigan the, thing. The, Ohio, I'm just saying. the continuous delivery. <laughs> yes, that is the foundation. The conti- continuous integration. So, <laughs> so they continue to learn the second one, the big one, right? Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting all day for that. That, one. Was, good. Uh, that was good. Goodness, yes. Well, there's 62 of them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Jessica's yeah, yeah. not laughing at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, Minnesota doesn't have a team. That's so. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Fists are about to fly. <laughs> You get a hot dash in the head. <laughs> oh, smack upside the head. Yes. So I think, but but I think that's a an, an important note because I think as a as a as a coach or a consultant, not being able to do the second part of the CD is can be very frustrating because again you're trying to get something into customers hands and sometimes there's just it's it's just very difficult thing to do in a large enterprise because of regulations and those things to to do it unless you create a sandbox unless you create you know and you can convince somebody to actually do something like that it can be but you know what the hardest part is convincing the those large financial organizations to do the first one to do the deployment um, because they're so afraid, even when you say, okay, there's ways to safeguard it and turn it off. Because frankly, you know, for the companies that, that really have dealt with the regulatory requirements, they find that it's actually not that big of a deal. Um, it's more of a, it's an excuse that uh, the large financials use in order to say, you know, I don't really, even when we say, okay, don't put it into production system and keep it dark, but put it into a, um, pr- your uh, production like environment. Let's put it into your beta environment. And they're like, eh, no, we need to keep that live. So they're so hesitant, they're so risk averse to even putting it there. And it's like, okay, this is not your production system. This is you know, the backup to your production system. This is, and the, you could put it here, and once they could get over that hurdle to actually do continuous delivery and drop it there and see that, oh, in fact, it doesn't break anything. I know in the telecom area that you know, I worked mm-hmm. in, they're like, okay, we can drop it here into the you know, production-like environment. And then these were the ops people because yeah, they yeah, really yeah. didn't trust devs. Right. They're like, okay, now – no matter how much testing you did, I'm going to put it through another week of testing right. here where I'm going to hammer the crap out of this thing right. and prove that you messed something up. And even though they had deli- the dev team had delivered you know, five times out of five and nothing had broken, the same ops person is like, I'm going to still hammer the crap. I'm going right. to find a way to break this thing. Right. You know, And it must sit in this environment for one week before I'm going to turn it live. So this is really kind of a trust issue, which is one of those kind of tenants, you know, of Agile. And I I would actually love to hear, now that we have more than 50 people, some feedback. And if you want to give feedback on what Steve said, which you may agree or not agree Mm -hmm. with, um, send that to feedback at agileafterdark.com. Yeah, I I mean, there's there's a lot in that DevOps episode 
There's stuff about carrying and coddling for things that are server-like versus the cloud mm-hmm. and eating things that you're close to. <laughs> some uh, some really good stuff. Uh, so, so definitely go check it out. We wanted to kind of switch gears a little bit and kind of talk about how, you know, then we kind of have the the dev and the ops together and we're getting the stuff out to our clients more quickly, but we wanted to then, how are we using that data that comes back to us? How are we using that data? Does this have this, was this the whole hatching chickens? Yeah. Hatching chickens. Yeah. 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 I remember that. So I kind of remember that anyway. Um, so as I said, you kind of have the pipelines build and the DevOps humming along. How as product people, Greg, uh, as, as Steve said, do I get feedback? you know, that I'm searching for. Um, and we had, uh, one of the people that Greg had worked for with before, uh, Kylie, what's Kylie's last name again? Her name is Kylie Brona. And I actually, even though she worked for me, I definitely worked and still work for her. So let's be clear about that. Yes. So she, (laughs) she came on because she had some pretty extensive, um, she had actually, I'll, I'll put it this way. She had opportunities to, really create new products from scratch and really um, with let's call it low expectations from a revenue perspective. So she was able to really understand testing, how you think about data, how you perform like, you know, sandbox testing and really Mm -hmm. get customer data, how to feed that back in and then how to manage your agile teams through that feedback coming back in and developing your products. So that was, I think a really interesting. uh, Cool. Yeah, and we kind of discussed with her about how to use data in our hatching those chickens episodes, you said. Mm-hmm. And how do we know success criteria and what are we trying to impact? Well, even if you can get through the, let's just even include the term pipelines. Like, even if you can get through in a big, again, a big enterprise organization, getting through all those pipelines, getting all those green lights, you know, even then, are they equipped to actually take back in the feedback from the customer? And that's what I want to ask Kylie is because she's kind of been on that journey, I'm sure, where you know, you've gotten to this point where like, okay, we're willing to spend this money now to get stuff out. Well, then what? Yeah. So that's a good point. And that's where I come in with the product voice is kind of representing that outcomes over output perspective, Hmm. automated testing, CICD, all those things are great for that incremental and, you know, doing those quick releases and getting stuff out there. But are we just building stuff and deploying stuff to just stay busy? What's the kind of goal and what are we driving and how are we measuring against that? How do we know what the success criteria is? How do we know how we're doing? So thinking first, okay, what are we trying to impact? So what's the outcome we're hoping for? So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, ed, ed tech, basically a lot of that drive, driving forces around student academic performance. So knowing what we're trying to hit and then putting in the pieces to get there and measuring them along the way. So for instance, in, a gamified test prep product I did, we were, you know, test prep's not fun. It's boring. It's awful. It's typically traditionally been primarily in workbooks where you're just taking um, print-based practice problems over again and again. Oh, I hated those. Kids like, yeah, sign me up for that workbook. Can't wait to do practice (laughs) test problems. So it's, that's where we took the gamification angle as our unique value proposition to differentiate ourselves but it was a risk and it was a bet and schools are more mostly conservative. So gamified aspects weren't naturally a thing they were jumping off, you know, uh, coming to sign up for and like, yes, we can't wait to bring that to our schools. The kids on the other hand, 
couldn't wait. So we targeted more or less the users of the software, got their feedback, got things in there, ideas based on them on how to put in those extrinsic motivators that were interesting, that they knew from the games that they chose to play on their discretionary time, that they would then potentially choose to give up playing this game to go and play this academic game. And uh, we measured them. So we were trying to see which were impacting our desired, you know, student academic performance goals. And we could see in the data over time, in a short period of time, actually looking in our analytics tools, just, you know, Google Analytics mm -hmm. and the ones we were using, that um, the ones that made no impact, that were basically just like flatline, they might as well not have been there because nobody was utilizing them and they weren't driving the outcome we wanted. But we clearly see that with like, for instance, the elements of rewards and earning coins and earning badges and being able to customize things based on the things that they earned, that was a driving force that was highly correlated to our desired outcomes. So the thing for that that was interesting to me is that the concept of kind of prepping ahead of time, mm -hmm. like what's our unique business objective? What, what is our unique factor that we know we're trying to achieve? Yeah. So what I would say is that you you have you have to try to find a three x business value to put you in the market so that you have an advantage. So if you can find a unique business value feature that gives you a three x advantage in the marketplace, that puts you in a good position. Really hard to do, but that's what you have to do. And then we talk later about the exciters, but that that's mm -hmm. the most important thing is to find one thing that separates you from. That and what she was taught, what Kylie was talking about there was we tried to use the gamification as opposed to just multiple choice test questions, but we tested what was interesting to actual students so mm -hmm. that we knew we were on the right track, we knew what reward systems they wanted, and we, you know, we built that. Now we spent a lot of money and time on doing it, but that you know, resulted in a very successful product. Well, and what I loved about it was the the notion that you you even while you're not deploying to everybody, you've identified, okay, what's the feedback that I need and how can I entice a few of those people, a representative sample to give me a sufficient amount of feedback. And so it doesn't have to be everybody, but I can, and financial services, other companies could do this by deploying it over here on the side and gamifying it and saying, okay, let's see who would use it and, and what sort of feedback just they're not even deliberately giving feedback. They're giving feedback intrinsically by how they use the system. Well, intrinsic is an important word because that's what we wanted was to see what intrinsically worked as opposed to us pushing something right. and trying to make somebody say, oh, yeah, they're making us do this, so we're going to accept it, right? So in that episode, Kylie kind of got into seeing what is happening in the real world, real, yeah. real world, excuse me, but also building off the experimental side of things. So... In the next clip, she kind of talks about the new things from a product management and data analytics, and we all talk about it together, the new things from a product management and data analytics and quantitative side that you can get. So, Kyle, if you want to kind of talk about some of the things that, you know, especially what we did in the past, things that worked, um, and some of the new things that you're seeing that you're you really plugged into from the product management side of things, that would be, I think, a good idea, and then we'll kind of banter in with our, our questions for you. Yeah, sure. On the quantitative side, so it's just getting any data you can from any of the results. Like 
with the academic data, we can kind of see that and see how things are performing that way, but also from the behavior side. So using the analytics tools to see what features, tagging, make sure we can kind of tag things, tag our different features, our different pages, our different events, and see what's happening in the real world and what's working and what's not. And then also kind of using the experiment mindset. So when we're thinking of solving a new problem, how can we try it and try it in a small aspect and kind of either test two different theories and see how they perform or even do things before we put anything into code and just do wireframes or lo-fi mockups and get those out and get some qualitative feedback or do some usability studies to see if they can go and complete the tasks that we're asking them to do. Can, can you add a student to your class? Does that happen successfully? Are they able to click through that prototype and make it happen? If it works, great, let's turn that into code. If it doesn't, good, we also didn't invest a lot and have to refactor. So here's Brandon, what I would say about that. Two, there's three words, experiment, behavior, mm -hmm. and investment. Those are the three words that came out of that small clip that took us a long time to understand, a long time to execute. Not sure we did it the best, but certainly things we did that we focused on. And one is... Is this from a product side? I mean, come, come it's absolutely out, a yeah. product side. Okay, it's, okay. it's absolutely Because from... I think this is important because from the Agile side, I think we're a little yeah, weak well, in the product think, level. Right. Thing, think so. Of, so think about you're spending a lot of money on developers who are building stuff. And they're, mm -hmm. they're excited to build stuff. They're especially excited to build stuff like this because this was like doing reward systems and graphics and building you know kid animations and, and all those things. So the developers were excited about those things. And, but the point was, how, what is the behavior we're trying to drive first? That's the most important thing, which was test prep, which is making them learn something. That was the behavior. How can we experiment to, under, to understand whether or not the experiments are helping us understand mm -hmm. the behavior? Right. And then that helps us shape what the investment needs to be moving forward. So those three words... Behavior, experiment, and investment, I think, were the keys to what we were trying to do there to make sure that we were investing the right money in the right things so that we were making a difference in education. And that's an important thing. Right. So how are we trying to convince someone that the change you've done are in their interests, right? And in the next clip kind of really talks about how we can show customer values. Because at the end of the day, you can get all the data, you can change the features, and you still have to convince somebody from a salesperson or a client or an end user that it's 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 better in their interest, right? Yep, and that's the, the soft side of product management. So understanding um, kind of how to represent those customer values and to weed through that. Those prioritization exercises really help because even though, yes, they were just complaining to your customer success team yesterday and they were you know, they want it fixed immediately. When you put everything in perspective, they're like, actually, no, you know, that can really wait. We really need this larger thing because that impacts our business for X, Y, and Z. And just hearing those conversations helps you figure out what their priorities are and understanding what trade-offs they're making. So those those exercises are are very valuable and you can't just, you know, it's not just a science product management, it's not a science. We can't be, you know, just re replaced with bots and AI and mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff uh, that in the product community, everyone kind of is coining the, the term pro 
product management or product as a craft. So it's marrying the art side of it with the science side of it. So it's just one factor. I mean, I think that, you know, that's why I was kind of pushing you, Greg, in terms of some of the product management. And I think there's a, a gap and a, an opportunity for the agile community to grow from the product management side. And hearing that from, from Kylie during that podcast about it's not just all about the numbers. There's a soft side to it, too. Well, I think it's more about actually when we talk about investment and delivering to the customer, you know, if you're developing and you're developing in an agile way and you can be the best agile development team in the world, but if you're not developing and delivering something that makes mm -hmm. sense to a customer, it doesn't mean anything. And that's where the product side has to be in, has to come in. The product owner has to come in. The product manager has to come in. That's where I think the agile world has a gap. And I th we're going to kind of approach product management uh, after the break. Uh, but before that, uh, we have a new sponsor. What? Yeah. So our sponsor today is self-organizing. You too can self-organize. Gah, have you ever wondered why you can't think for yourself? Uh, no. Exactly. Self-organizing will solve all of your problems. Jessica, have you ever felt like your decisions are not your own? But Maybe. Yeah, too right, Jessica, too right. Self-organize now, and your mind-melding with your team will make it so that you can make decisions through other people. Talk about CYA. So self-organize you and your team today. That way, you can say you're doing everything without doing a whole thing of anything. Wait. Wait, what? What? See, you're a sync already. Self-organizing for the win. Self-organize you and your team today. That way, you can do... Damn it. You almost made it through that. Yeah. That was a so, good salesy stupid yeah, start to it, though. Got me. I was like, so self-organize you and yeah. your team today. That do, was do super schmarmy and awesome. They're going to keep pawing here for a little bit. They like you, to clean their paws. Well. Pause for the cause. Pause for the pause. Pause for the <laughs> you need All to right. conjure up some of your wife's Neanderthals. Are you okay with a maybe? He's writing some maybe? really sophisticated lines here. So you can tell what he thinks of us. I think she can do a maybe. I think on a read she can do a maybe. He can do a uh-huh. I got two. At least I got two words. You only got one. Hey, listen, I'm the one that came up with this sponsor, my friend. I don't know what you contributed exactly. to daddy in this. I just turned it into commercials. Okay. All right. So, all right. <laughs> well, we are back, and yeah. I think we're talking about product now. Is that right? That is right. Did Greg. we have any fun on the break, the small break? <laughs> okay, wait. So, how? Let's ask a question. <laughs> all right. How much has is Connie here yet? I don't. I didn't. I thought I saw her come in earlier. Is well, it? she made it showing up. Yeah. I don't what, know. What does Connie oh. drink? Because it's around the holidays. But I noticed a drink that I think Connie has that looks a little watered down. Well, you know, I, I am drinking the the whiskey right now. Normally at this time of year, though, I like a good hat taddy. Yeah. A what? A hat taddy. A hat taddy. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A hat yeah. a hat taddy. Little tea, little whiskey. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I yes, never heard of a hat taddy. Just a little nip from the hat tatty and you're good to go. Oh, well, so what do you, when you, I guess when you, uh, you you obviously have some celebratory things in the Northwest or Northeast or Northern Well, Midwest. you're talking about my favorite uh, holiday tradition, well, yeah. the Lutefisk then. The, uh, 
I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> you were going to say hot dish, but you, or <laughs> the, the lutefisk. Lu- oh, sorry. it's everybody's favorite dish to hate. Bring it to every holiday festival. Yeah, does, for does sure. It, okay, so I remember last time you said that a dish had the devil in it. Does this have the devil in it? Oh, gosh, no, no. This is this is really, truly just a holiday tradition up north. Well, now that I think about it, it might have a little of the devil in it. <laughs> well, what is it? I don't know what it is. Help me understand. I actually don't know what it is, but it's horrible. <laughs> no, it is. It's. I know what it is, and it's like salted cod that sits it's fish. for like... It's fish. It's disgusting. Yeah, salted cod that sits for like six months, it's... and then you eat it. Have you, have you tried it? No, I'm going to puke just thinking it's, about it's it, and I love horrible. fish, so... Let's it's just absolutely it horrible. But anyway, anyway, we're back. Let's hey. talk about product. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we, we could make that... We could do some product marketing around that. Lutefisk. <laughs> Lutefisk. Might, might actually have a little of the devil in it. <laughs> the fish you love to hate. What is it? You, you know what you... You know what you want to know? You know what you need. Wait, I don't even know. <laughs> you know what you want. No, you know what you don't. You know what you don't want, period. <laughs> That's what Ludafisk is. You just don't want it. Even Anthony Bourdain won't eat it. Let's just put it that way. It is so vile and so disgusting and so gelatinous. I mean, you think is, this like the, is this like the Harry Potter oh. stuff that is what the ghosts eat? Because it's so, it's, like, it's, it's the only you thing think that gives the fish. Sort of have you guys had a fish? Yeah. It's like... No. It's yeah. it's not great. Not it's not great. This is like a thousand times worse than that. It's like literally, it's it's fermented for like ten years underground. It's like the most disgusting thing. It's like only a, for the hearty. Oh yeah. It's for the hearty folks up north. Keeps yeah. you warm. There and there yeah. is no crust. What do you put the crust on the the hot dish? What's the crust on the well, hot the dish? Well, the tater tots, sure. Tater tots. There's no tater tots involved. No, there's involved. no tater tots. No, yeah. this is... This is uh, I don't know. I think is... Sass would eat it. Sass? Yes. Yeah. Well, Sass would definitely eat it. Sass would like, eat I'm sorry, you're talking about nasty fish? Again, I am it's in for it. Sold. Ludipus. Try it. You won't like it. <laughs> product management. Product is, we're, we're doing some selling on the product marketing. Um, but uh, for the second section, um, kind of want to look back on some of the things that we talked about from a product side, right? Um, and, you know, SAS is still very excited about the, the, the fish concept. But interestingly enough, we didn't, this is something we need to talk about, Greg, for next year, right? Because surprisingly, we didn't do a lot of episodes specifically around product, right? Well, uh, I, I, I put it in wherever I could. Though. Yeah, I know. I know. But I think that you know, there's opportunities. We're talking about, you know, retrospective on perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for next year. I think there are some opportunities. But um, I think that uh, one of the things that we did get into when we started talking, we had the episode about roadmaps, right? Yep. Don't be a liar. Right? Don't be a liar. You know, don't 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 lie to folks. But one of the things that we we did talk about that I I use a lot uh, when talking to teams is, and to product managers in particular, is the biggest expense is, is the teams. And if you don't have a clear vision, uh, wait, you're is in, this where I'm coming in with my finance? What am I called? The VP of? Yeah, there's so well, you're well, that's not the VP part. So you're a finance guy. You're a commie. Yeah. Uh, you're uh, a curmudgeon. And a VP of being a dick. Oh right, 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 right. Which one does that fall under? This is the finance uh, one, I think. This is the finance one in okay, a way. Yeah. Ahead. So let's yep. let's play this clip real quick. Think about it. The most the, 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 the biggest expense in software development is the teams. And so if the teams don't have a clear vision of where they're going and and what they're trying to build, then you're going to run into issues. So um, 
one reoccurring problem is that if you have vision and no action, you have a serious problem. And if you have action and no vision, then you also have a nightmare of a problem. So this is this is from our episode of Roadmaps, The Art of Building a Marauder's Map, which I really like because I'm wearing a Harry Potter t-shirt right now. Although you planned that. Yeah. You did. And yeah. it doesn't really have anything to do with product management. Let's just be very clear about that. <laughs> but I thought that, that was that was uh that was really apropos where it was, you know, if you have the teams kind of going off and doing their own thing because they don't have a vision, that's actually as much if not more of a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, it's more of a problem because you know, I think we've talked about this, but developers if they're good, they want to tinker, they want to build, they want to do things, right? And if they don't have the right vision to focus them on the things that, you know, our customers want or the customer wants, then they're going to just, they're going to do stuff. They're going to build stuff. They're going to do things. So you can't stop them from doing that. And you don't want them to stop doing that because that's what they do. But you've got to have vision and you've got to have focus for them. And have them buy into that vision. So being able to talk about why it is that that's this vision is what really it is. really important, Jess. That's, really, that's a really good point, actually. And we, we had that discussion in, in our podcast, I think, if you mm-hmm. remember. Yeah, and it's one of those where, in terms of the responsibility from a product side, I think that it translates from the debt that we talked about it in our first episode and we've talked about several times throughout this past year in terms of the transition from how we did things in the past to how product management looks at things. Now it's more easily translated into, okay, we need to, now we're the requirements people. So we're going to write requirements that tell the teams how to do what they're supposed to do. The things that they're supposed to do, which that was the other side of what you said in that clip, Greg, which is, if you're providing the vision and the understanding of what needs to get done, then you have, as we talked about with Nitin and we talked about in, our, in the first part of, of this retrospective, is you have those creative developers, creative problem solvers, right? They're going to say, okay, this is this is what you're, the direction you're telling us to go. That's the what, right? But we're going to like really come down to it and say this is the how because we're the team that understand it best and how we're going to actually do that. Um but also along those lines, you know, from a delivery perspective, the teams also don't technically bring profit, right? And that's kind of a hard thing to understand. But when we were having that conversation, Greg, and by the way, this is the one podcast that both Greg and I did. And after we did that podcast, we were like, we have to have other people. Because <laughs> by no means are we interesting enough between the two of us to keep a podcast going. So that's well, why we kept... I think it's interesting you say that. And I don't remember that. So this is, a, this is an add-on... <laughs> That the teams don't actually deliver profit because I don't think that's true because profit is if I'd said that, then I'm wrong. And then I'll just be like Steve, who said the wrong thing, too. And I think actually I was right. But this is a great Brandon, retrospective. Well, I think this is I think, a retrospective, I, I think, isn't it? Well, I this think it's exactly a great right. retrospective for Brandon because he's, <laughs> he's misstating what I said. So who's responsible? So who's responsible for bringing right, revenue let's listen to the company? Let's we'll listen in and let's see what, what what they have to say. Most of the times, from a delivery perspective, the development teams are a cost center. They do not, they do not, you know, introduce profit into an enterprise. They are a cost center. The product people are responsible. The business is responsible for building, you know, revenue for the company, and so. If you don't have a roadmap and everybody isn't driving towards that and they're just bu- busy doing stuff, 
they're just not they're not adding value. And this is where you get into this concept of value streams and all this. So we're not going to talk about that. Trust me, there's a there's a really after dark version of that whole value stream <laughs> thing because that's a very controversial thing. Mm -hmm. But I think you know the the whole point is can you just get and it's again let's talk about you know what I want the theme of this to be, Brandon. This podcast is we're gonna we're gonna uh, we should do this we should do this we should align everything on. And it's a bit that we could do. Mm -hmm. Align everything on common sense, advanced common sense, stupid, and just start aligning things in, would, in a matrix it, like that. Wouldn't it be stupid, common sense, advanced common sense? Yeah, or you could have stupid on either side because you could get, once you get to advanced common sense, you get, get stupid again. The whole point is keeping it simple because none of this stuff is rocket science. It's more, one of our colleagues... Uh, who works on a, a major product and major product company, you know, says this is more about a grind than about being right. It's about getting in and helping people change behaviors from a behavioral perspective and, and doing that. And that's, that's really what we're talking about. And that's hard work, but it's valuable work. And it helps to not talk straight into the microphone and step back a little bit. So I don't wreck the, the, the levels, but, you know, it's, it's, this is, this is the most important thing is really changing people's behaviors. Dot, dot, dot. I didn't say that exactly. They took it out of context. Dot, 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 dot. Why can't he get the dots right, by the way? It's always like, what so is he does. doing? Like it's, so it's an ellipsis. It's like three dots. Like you can't just put a two or three extra dots. Dot, 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 dot. They increase the character level. Amount of dots God. is fake news. Oh, my God. Okay. So, by the way, very much... It's, it wasn't actually taken out of context because no, what I said was actually true. <laughs> but because it isn't, if you look at, if a finance person looks at that, it's a spin. They say, it's not a How dare you? <laughs> it's not a spin. I said good day. It is true that day, at, the end of, at the end of the day, all of it rolls up and is there's a margin and there's what you spend and then there's what you make. And that's the margin. And so what you want to do is have... The widest margin. This is like one hundred and one, but you have to want to have the widest margin you can. So, but the point is, I what I think, what doesn't get taken to account, which I was trying to say there, dot dot dot, is that the devs are such an integral part of delivering a great product if the product people do their job. The right way. And Jess, remember you, Jess, talk, we talked about this, right? If the product people can have the right vision and deliver and deliver a message to those developers and a vision to those developers, then that profit margin increases because they're doing the, they're working on the right stuff. And as I said, not just stuff. They're working on the right stuff, right? The right stuff and they're bought in and they they feel emotionally invested because they're working on something that's incredibly important because there's a there's a vision there that they can understand and they can attach themselves to and they can attach themselves to as a team. And they're, when they're emotionally invested, quality's going to I would argue. Yep. Quality's going to go up. Yep. In t uh, you know innovation is going to go increase Cause because they're going to come to you with ideas about how to right. how to make that vision happen. And that's what you want because that's what they're they're creatives. That's what you want them to be doing, right? But they have to have the vision and that's product's responsibility. That is not the dev's responsibility. That is not the scrum master's responsibility. That's the product owner's. It's sort of a little bit little of the bit. product owner's responsibility. 
but it's the product manager's responsibility and then also senior management who is supposed to provide the bigger vision. Yes. So absolutely, I do not renege anything I said. Except for what you said earlier, live versus what was in the clip. But that being said, <laughs> that being said, <laughs> I was so glad that he said that before I played the clip because I remember what the clip said. But that being said, I do think that this is something we need to explore next year. Mm -hmm. I think we really do, because it's very easy for us to say, hey, the product management team, the the senior managers and so forth, they're the ones that are supposed to provide the vision. Yeah. But we need to get into the in more in-depth of what that really means, because there's product marketing, there's a whole oh, there's, level yeah. of these things that we have. And, really and here's tested. another thing I would say that we mark it down. You have to remove distractions from the teams so that they're focused. Because if you, if everybody's going, well, we don't know what we're supposed to do. I mean, it's so easy to blame. Hey, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And so we're just working on this. You, ha it has to be, it has to be very clear in a visionary way. It has to be clear in a inspirational way, not just do this job robots. It has to be, hey, don't you want to be a part of this? I, I think another ingredient that you have to add in is measurement. So you, if you're providing vision, that's fantastic, but you need to know, particularly as a product manager, how will you measure that so that the uh, team can deliver good... in very small incremental bites and know whether or not they're succeeding? Because something that uh, we've worked on recently with a portfolio group is recognizing that the data says that 70% of the ideas that either devs have or product manager have will in fact go the wrong direction, mm. won't help the measure. So you need to have a vision and you need to say, how are we measuring that? Deliver in small incremental bites and then see, is this moving us the right direction or not? And we, we did a podcast over uh, on roadmaps. And so I think that's kind of- And also the what direction. Steve was talking yeah. about, I think is this kind of UX design, Lightning Labs kind of <laughs> another topic that we're sort of moving into, which yeah. is how do you measure? And yeah. I, and there's measurement in reports that have graphs and yeah. pie charts. And then there's also measurements, which are how customers relate to the product and the decisions and how they take part in making those decisions as well, right? Bingo, yes. And I think <clears throat> with the other sort of product level thing that the conversation we had this year was around digital. Um, we had a, a great episode, which was kind of the introduction uh, to our co-co-host, Jessica. And the co-co-co-host. Co-co-host, yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Gustalis. Oh, Whoa. Look at that. Whoa. Damn. <laughs> Gustaf. Yeah, back up. What? But uh, let's get digital. Let me hear Agile talk was the episode. Um, One of my was... favorites. Let me hear Agile talk. That's right. Agile we did the dance yep. last time. It was yep. amazing. Can't help it. Um but kind of like, as you said, Greg, that UX design and teams coming together to build products that people consume in a digital space. And it's right? about measurement, though, right? right. That's the, the point of that was doing things, as Steve said, very. that was Steve Thomas, by the way, on the mic, um, uh, very incremental um, in a way that development teams can be both measured because management wants measurement, but also be excited about the work because, Jessica, as you know, when they get feedback from customers – and it's like, yeah, this worked or it didn't work. Like, oh, I mean, they're motivated both ways. They're totally. Both sides. You know, totally. Like, oh, 
I thought that would work. I thought that was going to work. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? And again, go back to creatives. Right. How do I make the? How do I make this work in the right way? That's and creatives, I think, is like the keyword that you used yeah. when you were, you know, on. I think that's the instead of even calling them devs, calling them creatives as a team, right? And so we talk about as a team. It's quality. It's developers. It's maybe graphic designers. It may be the whole group, right? Yep. And it's very interesting because we talk about you know the UX side of it in the beginning versus being involved throughout the building of the product. And you talked about, you know, Jess having really good insights. And in this clip, as usual, you and I talked the whole time and she didn't have an edge, a word in edgewise. Well, remember that product, the product that I'm referencing? <coughs> and remember we had Kylie on two yeah. weeks ago? Yeah. That was a brand yeah, new product ago. in a brand new space. Okay. Fr from scratch. Right. From an idea that we didn't want to do, if you remember. Yes, exactly. Brand, brand new. And had you guys did a bunch scratch. of UX at the beginning. Well, you did a bunch of like that. So... I, I will. I will say, but that's what we complained about was that that shouldn't have happened that way. Okay. And we remember they had the lightning lab that I described. Yes, well, we, exactly. My, one of my colleagues and I said, Great "This name. is stupid. We should do laser lab, which is like two days, four people. We're doing laser labs. We're not doing yeah. like we're any other laser lasers yeah. on top of their heads." No, we, we literally had that conversation. Like, this is ridiculous. We walked by and we're like twenty people in the room. We're like, "This is ridiculous. This is a waste of time." And now it got people invested in the product. And so, you know, you're launching a new product. So it helped in that way. But as far as functionally helping build a product, a waste of time. Total waste of time. Okay. So I would say there is, there is obviously some visualization work that goes up front to say, okay, here's kind of what we're looking at and doing some wireframes just to check kind of what makes sense, doing some testing with the actual users yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. There should not be some gigantic concerted effort at the beginning. It should be... That product was a test prep product. Okay, what does a test prep product have to have? It has to ask questions. The bank has to be randomized. It has to have the answers. It has to have some kind of a scoring methodology. It has to have some kind of game, what we choose to have gaming and you know different kinds of rewards, intrinsic reward systems, blah, blah, blah. So we say, okay, these are the six things that it needs. We're just gonna go and do those first and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I, you know, <laughs> I think the great lesson out of that conversation kind of in that podcast, but also kind of building out what we talked about with Kylie is, you know, you have the data that you're getting back from your customers. And are you doing too much upfront work in terms of the UX and kind of like design and, you know, oh, we're just spending so much time to do that and we're missing the mark, right? And, you know, that we, I think that episode was right after the one we did with Kylie. And that was really kind of apropos, I think, because having that understanding of, we have that data that's available from our users. So why not use it? Why not just like say, well, we think we know. Are we using it or are we using yeah. our yeah. feelings about how things? Right. There's the feelings and there's the lightning labs where we bring 40 random people in. And even Kylie on that particular episode that she had, she was like, yeah, you know, we brought them in, but they thought they were supposed to answer in a particular way. Right. They weren't necessarily answering in the way that, but the data and the actual usage is true because they don't know you have that access to what they're doing, right? So well, and I've been you know involved in a conversation this week about longitudinal data, about how you track data over a long period of time versus you know different kinds of tracking and different kinds of activities that you do to understand what client sensibilities are, and you know I would. Longitudinal studies cost a lot of money, take a lot of time, and by the time they're done in three years, everything has changed. And I don't know. I think in some sectors, the, the, like education, yeah. those are important things to do because you need to understand that. But 
I think in our world today, in the digital world, the UX world and design world that you've been involved with, um, Jess, you know, it's it really is about doing the smallest thing possible to make the best decision you can at the point in time when you can make a decision and then measuring that and then coming back without being reckless about it. And how, I, would, I would ask you this question. How, how do you not be reckless with that information? Because you can just knee-jerk react to everything. How do you not be reckless with that? It's a really good question. Are you going to answer it? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't the, know because well, I, the big, that's not my experience. Well, the I big box that. company. I mean, like, I mean, in terms of like retail space, I only can only imagine that the well, amount of data points coming in was maybe overwhelming. For sure, and so, so I think that we. So instead of it being overwhelming and making knee jerk reactions, instead. In general, we had a tendency to overanalyze for a very long time before any decisions were made, mm-hmm. and so so I my experience is the opposite of like, well, let's wait and see. Like maybe it means this, maybe like instead of actually doing anything about the information that was coming in, they didn't use it. They had all of this information. It was a paralysis analysis, paralysis, whatever. And so I don't have that experience at all. But Is you that- also said earlier that you would gather the information, you would put it out, and then you would make some decisions when it, you thought it was the right point in time, right, to release something in a sandbox environment, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And then that way, and, and that's a safe way to do it as opposed to just releasing something. But if you do it in a sandbox environment, and that means what we talked about earlier, which is releasing to a, a segment of customers, either whether they're aware of it or not, early yeah. adopters, or just releasing to a segment and toggling off and on mm-hmm. and getting the information back, right? That's a way to, I think that's a way to do it. And I don't yes, know how absolutely. You guys yeah, did yeah. It. so we did, we did a, both, all of those things. And one of the things that, that we found that worked in terms of releasing to a segment of people that knew kind of what you were talking about, knew, mm-hmm. knew what was happening or was tied to the company from a political standpoint in some way that there was... Well, what does that mean? Like, uh, so let's say, for example, you work for a big box retailer and you have, um, like, retail operations go out and pick people to bring into the corporate office to try some stuff out. Well, they're who are who are who are are like customers or or who are um, who may be favorable to who are who are blue shirts who maybe know somebody at corporate who might. Or yeah. red shirts dot, dot, or, dot. or other shirts. Yeah. <laughs> there might be shirts involved. Um, but maroon shirts. But where they may be, you know, looking like like if they want to get into corporate, and this the person that brought them in is someone. So so you have to. So look they're at, essentially compromised to make correct. a good decision because yeah, yeah. they're trying to they're trying to gain favor, right? As opposed to just having a, an opinion. Right. Whereas in, instead, like if if on like more of the dot com or digital side where you can just turn it on and off to different Mm -hmm. groups of people and learn from that and what, and just count the number of clicks or the number of like pages they go through or, and, and make decisions based on that. Did you think it was boring watching and doing that? No, gosh, no. Really? really? Especially this time of year. We're in the holidays. Yeah. Oh, I like, did. I was like so like, bored like watching. Oh, my gosh, Jess no. is like this time oh, of year. Oh, we did all the, like I've done all the overnights and like watching watching the numbers and seeing like, I hope our performance testing worked mm. and like all, no, that stuff's You literally watched like. Uh, screens, night, like at, giant, giant, giant screens. At work? 
Yeah, like it's like the op screens. Like I right? on yeah. on Thanksgiving, I would I would take a Benadryl at eleven o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> after trying to shovel some food in my face to be able to sleep for a couple hours so that I could get up and go in and and watch what was going on and then be able to help as much as I could. Okay, well we know where Jessica's lying. Yeah. So giant <laughs> nerd. And no, but it's uh, but, but, I mean, no. sleep. Yeah. but I mean but, but yeah. by the way, that that is not just that that's a product function, just so you know. Well that's why we put in the product section. I mean, yeah. well, and, and, and it's, a, and it's also that part is also a measure of how well how well did you put your product together before that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. right. But it's only somebody who cares as much as what you just described that would do that because Again, Kylie would do the exact same thing that you were talking about. She didn't describe it in the more fun way that you did, but thank you. Sorry, yeah. Kylie. Yeah. Um, but seriously, both, both that, Midwestern. Those, that's that's <laughs> sounds similar. But no, but you know what? That's <laughs> what that's what a product manager does. If you go to the West Coast Hi, and you took a product product manager, they the, all they care about is their product they, because they are the CEO of that product. Right, and so you have you have to care. They care, and you want to care. You should because you're like I made all these decisions and I was in charge. And then you're going to be able to come back and talk to your team about what happened. That's right, and motivate them to get what better. Happened, what what you're doing and why mm -hmm. you're doing the next right. steps that you're doing. And so, it's so much fun, isn't it, to watch so them and their fun. faces light up and they're yeah. like, "I'm working harder," and we could do. Oh, we did, you know what we should have done? We <coughs> should have done this. I mean, literally, you have yes. those, and you're like, "Yes, yes, yes, let's go, let's go." I yeah. mean, you know. So we talked about in that episode about let's get digital. We talked about, you know, the traditional way of doing like there may because Greg, we've talked about hey, there may still be some opportunities for where agile makes sense. And I think for digital, one of the things that we talked about on that podcast is it's kind of hard to break the, the UX, the design, to development, to right? Like particularly the UX, to design, to development, right? Um, and we kind of talked about, well, what would it look like in terms of a waterfall project and what then what next? So let's uh, play that cup real quick. I mean, that's the thing about Agile, though. I mean, like, let's say you do do this waterfall event. You know, and you spend eight, nine, ten, twelve months putting putting together this new product, um, and then you finally get it out there. Well, I mean, especially in something like retail, everything moves so fast that by the time you get it out there, twelve months later, God, even if you can do it in three months, by the time you get it out there, it's not it's not necessarily applicable anymore. I mean, think about who we're competing against mm -hmm. consistently, especially. I mean, not just especially in retail, but all, across I mean, the board. You can say Amazon. I mean, Amazon yeah, is just I mean, like <laughs> the constant. It's, it's you constant. Know. There's new stuff all of the time. I mean, I I think I got an update yesterday, and there's some new stuff that I really am enjoying. Like, yeah, hooray! I know, I know. And it, so, you guys remember when you got like you can get, now get liquor delivered to you? Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> right? this is very interesting. We get a knock on the door. Right? I just ordered something on my phone. <laughs> Excuse me. Watch out for Apollo thirteen. <laughs> But I mean, you have to compete against that, and so waiting—you know—waiting months and months to get something out is just—it's not—it's not, not going to work anymore. I, I can't believe that I'm hearing this. That that specifically in this digital space, how anybody, how anybody would still think that a waterfall approach is what? What year is this? I mean, it's 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 the most applicable to digital than any other thing. Because but we understand it, and also it works with our funding model. So Wait, did you say that? How this works with our funding model, which is again a good. Also, yeah, retrospective. Can we at some year, point? Yeah, the, for the next for the next uh, year, I think in terms of the the funding model, um, from a product side in particular, because because I said 
unfortunately, this section is a little lighter, the second section, because, yes, we've uh, infused uh, the product side of things, Greg, into certain conversations we've had. But the truth is, we've only had two, maybe three podcasts. That yeah, kinda... you know what would be interesting, I think, is if we had, if we had um, Steve with his measurement nerd side the ops come in and have a conversation with a product with jess and product people and maybe kylie if we can figure Mm -hmm. that out to say well here's how we would measure it and then let him go no that's not colin also oh colin and steve together that would be the most boring podcast (laughs) of all time but like get big data colin who's big data data science Um, like but he's like phd data science um to get him in and really talk about the quantitative and qualitative sides of how Mm -hmm. you measure a product success Mm -hmm. and you know you can both can be successful for sure right but yeah. you don't but but a product being here's what i learned just so you know i like you can have a product be a huge success and people will sell it and it has a really bad margin and the finance people are like crapping all over it because they're just like yeah. yeah everybody loves this thing but it doesn't make any sense and our salespeople don't sell it because it doesn't have the you know, they're used to selling a $30,000 deal and this thing is a thousand dollars and we can't even bundle the things together to make it sell. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to think about all those things down the line from a product perspective that you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you don't have a distribution channel, if you don't have the right, if you have a, like a, an install model versus the hardest thing I ever did working with finance was install model versus a sub- subscription model and helping salespeople understand. So here's the deal. Subscription seems great at the beginning, but over at three and a half years, it costs the customer more because they're buying the subscription. And if you have the right install model with the maintenance, uh, you know, the right maintenance program, it, it saves them money over time. Yeah. And like teaching them how to understand that, to talk about it from a finance perspective here I am, you know, no, Brandon. No. And like, yeah. it's, it's like, yeah. seriously, you, these are really important things. Now, it's easier today because nobody does install model. It's all license right. and subscription yeah. stuff. I mean, everything. It's or amazing. Open. Well, no, but, but no, but Greg, the, 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 from a software side, the open source, how does that model Well, an open source into, or freemium, yeah, all of that stuff is a totally it's, it's different kind conversation. kind of a fascinating way of looking but at look it But look at well. the, like, Apple Store is all moving to subscription mm-hmm. as opposed to buying a 299 app. It's all subscription. Yep. Everything is moving to subscription because it's better for devs and the business. Right. And that's why they're doing it. And I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Even though I'm just making all this up right <laughs> well, now. You are the product guy. But it's true that like subscription is now the model. It's mm. There's no install. There's no buy an app. It's all subscription stuff. It's that's all sad. of it. It's all. But think about, hey, wait, back in the day, Steve, remember when we used to try to, you'd have to buy Photoshop and it cost like $7,000 and you couldn't, and you were like a college student. You're like, I could never buy Photoshop because it cost $4,000. And then you, but what did you do? What we did, we went and found a way to get Photoshop, right? Yes, we did. Yeah, and we did. and now for I you know student no model, a, a, a student well, literally to buy Photoshop, you used to literally have to pay for probably yes. four thousand dollars to get Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. just Photoshop. Is that real? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And now yeah. you can buy it 
my daughter's. Well, hopefully. it was Photoshop plus some of the other. You know, no, it was age, just page, well, page maker, page frame maker. maker. Yeah, well, nothing each, very useful. Each one of those was, as yes. Greg said, that each one of those was multiple hundreds or thousands of dollars. And yeah. So you work express to, you all had those. to make do with some. So if you're a student, you used, you just you would you we all learned. I, I think most of us learned how to use a computer so we could like steal software. <laughs> basically, we learned how to like what is never an FTP happened. site? Oh, hmm. I now know what I'm supposed to do. How do I know FTP? And now I went just this week. Hopefully, my daughter's not listening. She wants Photoshop and she wants um, the um, paid uh, not paid, Illustrator. Illustrator, not Illustrator. The uh, desktop publishing. Okay. Word InDesign. 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 And it's for students. It's ten bucks a month. Hmm. Okay, so that's indefinitely. Indefinitely. Right. So at what point does it become? Now I'm like going ten bucks a month, and ten bucks a month is blah blah blah. And I'm like, if I owned that, mm-hmm. and if I had the right maintenance plan where I could get the updates, yeah, hmm, you know, that's a different model. So I know, but now, you know, like honestly, I don't think about that stuff when I of course subscribe to that. I don't. At, because they don't make you think Never. about that anymore. And that was the whole plan. And that's why when I was doing that model, I was like, why would anybody do this versus this? And we were like, yeah, holy shit. And we're talking about you, if one license was $1,200 for the stuff we were selling. And school systems were buying hundreds of... So it was like our average sale was $35,000. And then we're like, oh, do the do the subscription. Oh, it costs $5,000 the first year. And then 10000 And then... Pretty soon, it was like it cost them way more. Plus, they had no servers. Blah blah blah. You know, it was like it was the hardest thing I ever did from a business perspective, and well, taught pricing. me about finance. Yeah, yeah, but you guys understand that we like our avocado toast. That's true. Yeah, so, that is true. There that is, is that. true. But that's yeah. the world that we live in today. Yeah, and everybody wants to do. Everybody wants something simple, something they can download. Everything is that nobody wants to install anything for the most part, right? I mean, I remember I saw something today. Oh, I, did, apps. I, I had I mean, to apps are they're so easy. Right. Well, and I had to st- install a, ja- a Java applet today so somebody could log onto my computer to fix my VPN. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Java applet? No way! I'm not putting a Java applet on my computer. That, that's the demon. That. That's the devil. The I Java applet. That. And that's like that's like you know bad tater tot hot dish. No way. <laughs> The devil has, farted on that. that no that, way. That definitely, That's the one that Janet stole, and she totally screwed up the recipe. <laughs> she definitely had ketchup on it. So much but ketchup you, Steve, on it. Steve, you know what I mean? It's oh, like yeah. it's a totally different world now. Yeah. I mean, it's a totally different world, and you everything is subscription, and it's smart from a business perspective. And again, the Apple Store is moving out of app sales and into yeah. subscriptions or in, in-app you know, in-app buys. So I think yep. there's a lot of opportunities for us to evaluate kind of the product side of what we, I mean, have been talking about now because from an agile perspective, bring it, you know, axioing back the, the agile side of it to do a Harry Potter nice reference, Brandon. you know, <laughs> thank you. Uh, is that, and we'll talk about when the, in the next section about transformation, we talk about leadership, all this kind of stuff. We talk about they're not buying in all this kind of stuff. And the truth is, is that I think a lot of that has to do with, a lack of understanding from a product viewpoint of things versus a project view of yep. things. Yep. And that goes to what we talked about in the first part of this and in previous shows in terms of the debt of where we've come from. So how do we fund things? What are we funding? Mm-hmm. Right. 
and to look at things from a product perspective is a switch and is a struggle. And I think it's also helping people to think differently. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a huge switch. And helping helping them to figure out how do you think differently? How do you think in terms of product value, business value, describing that, involving my teams? It, that's a huge switch. Well, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because that just sparked another thing in my mind when I was just talking about all the subscription stuff, which I don't know if it's going to make it into the show or not, but making the teams understand what a business model mm-hmm. means, a subscription model versus an install model versus an in-app model versus a mobile model versus... They need to understand that so they can make good decisions. Well, because teams don't bring profit, Greg. And Greg, I'll, How dare I'll, you? <laughs> they want to understand. Yes. They want to be invested. They want to know what they're doing means something. And they want to understand the why behind it. And I mm-hmm. think it's really important that we help help the people who are driving that, driving the vision, driving the product, to be able to articulate that to the teams. And the, the, you'll what you'll get back from the teams is like tenfold. Right. So let me set up an interesting problem. Or Steve, go ahead. Uh, you, I was going to build on that, that that you definitely want. That's a, a hallmark of a good product manager is that they're, uh, they're articulating for the developers, for the creatives, here's here's how we're going to sell this. Here's the financial model that we're going to make this work. And Because they, I agree with Jessica, they want to understand that. And it's up to the product manager to give that vision for here's how it's going to work. No, I agree. And I think it's interesting in that if you think about a large enterprise that might sell insurance, for instance, and there's a, there is a, a, a hundred year old history of how they sell it. And then the, the, they hear from on high, well, you know, there are smaller insurance companies that have mobile apps. And so we need to be mobile. Well, what does that mean? Like they don't, they don't even understand what mobile means. They just know that, oh, we got to run at mobile. But they, they don't break things down to understand what are we delivering to the customer because we might actually, that was their UBV, that was their unique business value. We might have a better service you know position and our, our mobile strategy may be able to have two years to develop and we may understand it in a different kind of way. A good product manager would go, I'm going to understand it, not just react. I'm going to understand what really mobile means, right? So I think that we've probably come up with five different shows <laughs> for next year, I've which is yes, great. please, like yeah. five times. But which is, like, which oh, is, yeah, let's have that conversation. Which, oh, yeah, let's have, let's have that conversation. Which is exactly right. And I think that's one of the things that we wanted to take out with this retrospective on our perspective. Um, and I think one of the key parts to take from this going into the next section, which is all about transformation, is when we're talking about transformation and how we're changing how teams look at things, how leadership looks at things, there's that important cog that there's not even a cog, an important core, I'll actually say, which is that product outlook on how I'm defining what we're doing, which is so key to how leadership will look at their decisions they're making and the teams and the decisions that they're making. So with that, I want to transition into our break real quick because we're going to talk about transformation on the other end. So uh, as always, feel free to uh, send your feedback to feedback at agileafterdark.com. 
And you know, Greg's hasn't had quite a rant yet, but I oh, feel a little bit of a you rant gotta, get, there. It wasn't a rant; it was more of a inspirational thing. I think that was kind of almost like a vision for for next year. I'm kind of like gonna put that as well, part of our vision statement for next year. I think Jess and I are. I think what's gonna happen here is that Jess and I are gonna take over the show, and that we might have to have our own spinoff show, kind of like when Laverne and Shirley went off of Happy Days. I think we and I. I I'll be. You can. Did choose. you want to explain that to me I as say, well? I say good. I say good luck with that, Greg. Huh? Okay, good well, luck with we'll that. We'll talk about who can be Laverne and who can be Shirley. Can I be Squiggy? Yeah, you can be Squiggy. You can be Squiggy. I'm actually. lost again. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we, yeah. we can talk so, about so that. So good luck with that, and we're creating the outlines and the clips and all of those the post editing. So, did you want to do your recent jingle? No, please don't make it do the recent jingle. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll cut you on the other side. <laughs> I was watching you. I like how you try to bring your own jingle into our jingle, though. We both talked about that while we were... Mine was, mine was better. Mm. Did, you know did Greg you, just write really his own jingle? His a, own jingle. It's just a thing. that when you say it to people, they're like, "What? What, what is it? You you know? You know what, what you need to know when you need to know it. Stop worrying about what you don't need to know." I like that. Good. All right. All what are we effort, talking all about? All this effort to write this stuff. And what are we talking about? Down. It's all good. It's all good. And by the way, and we're back. Well, no, and we're back. <laughs> Sorry. And we're back. I did that. We're that was strategic. Why did you do that right when it was <laughs> so <drinking>? strategic? <laughs> and we're back with a water drink. And we're back. And pins. <laughs> yes, we're back. Pins. <laughs> with our muggles <laughs> and the wizard shirts, we're back. Yes, <laughs> with our bad ad reads and everything else. <laughs> Hey, so Brandon, I remember this last year we talked a lot. Well, everybody's been talking a lot about transformation. Yeah. I remember thinking, I don't even know what it means, to be honest yeah. with you. We had uh, kind of a controversial uh, discussion about that, and now we're kind of revisiting it, right? Well, yeah, and I, I think I kind of wanted to end with this particular section because if you remember, if you listen to part one, you'll have heard the soundbite of kind of how we came to this. And one of the things we said, you know, we're getting – you terms are using us more than we're using them. Mm. Remember that, Greg? I and do remember. Transformation that. was one of the first ones. It's the top of the list. You know, Buzz, kind of Buzz really it was at the top of the list. And so I kind of wanted to round it out with this way. And, you know, this episode is going to be a little bit longer than that first one, which was like only 40 minutes. And I think we're probably going to break our record for this part two. Oh, boy. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's a good one to, to get into because it's the hot thing in, in our industry right now uh when you're looking at kind of large companies and what they're trying to do kind of a transformative state is an aspirational state that i think comes from the right place right but what does that really mean and you know it's buzzwords leaders yeah. leaders say they want it but they don't really want it well right. and the word aspirational i have a problem with that word as well yeah. because it's like it's sort of a it's it's sort of an excuse well aspirationally although well, I, have, I have an issue with the word excuse well, well, okay, but think about it. It's like when you say aspirationally, it's like asterisk 
we're really not going to get there and we know that. So we're just going to say aspirationally. Right. It's like an excuse, yeah. right? And the transformation kind of, when we had them as a sponsor before, I think that was some of the, I remember that. what the transformation was as our sponsor. That was a very lucrative uh, I think we sponsorship. Do we have a snort? I think or, so. Or, or, we definitely had a snort. <laughs> that was... It was very unexpected. <laughs> so we, we, we actually had, uh, kind of like uh, we did with Steve, when we were talking about DevOps earlier, we had an entire episode about, about transformation. Uh, called Transformation More Than Meets the Eye, which is one of my favorite titles of all of the episodes that we've had so far because I'm a Hasbro geek, I guess. Uh, but we had uh, our good friend Shiloh Reddy on that, and we kind of asked, you know, what is transformation actually? And I think this is a good clip to, to play and get us started. When I think of, I mean, now that you say it to me, I, transformation to me means something that maybe the using this as a little bit of a metaphor is a little tired, but sort of, if you think about transformation from, you know, a, a caterpillar to a butterfly, it starts as this thing and the caterpillar might be beautiful in its own right. It, it may be, and there are caterpillars that are beautiful. It doesn't mean it has to be ugly, but then it goes into a state that is, it's kind of not transparent, frankly, and something is happening inside of this, this interim space that is very meaningful, but that is opaque and, probably a little confusing or especially to the outside looking in but what comes out of it is something completely transformed and it may be a beautiful butterfly from an ugly you know caterpillar or maybe a beautiful caterpillar to a moth i mean who who knows what but it is a complete change what are you freaking talking about <laughs> wow <laughs> Wait, no, I think here. that was brilliant, actually. <laughs> I think I agree with everything that person said. Who was that brilliant? I man? don't know, but he was good, and I wouldn't listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is true. Butterflies and moths and caterpillars and moths. Oh, it, 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 can, can you clarify that? Can you expand on that? Oh, well, there's a thing called a... Pupule. What are they? What are, they, what are those things called? <laughs> what are the, the, there's like a pupa. A pupa. pupa. <laughs> the pupa is in an opaque no, thing. Right. Yes, it is. This is all very sexual. All of a sudden. <laughs> no, it's okay. not. All right. Did we start already? <laughs> <laughs> Looks like something a little uh, bird pooped out. That's all. It is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think there was some great. Idiot! What did I say? I can't believe I said all that. And Shiloh was sitting right well, across. Well, so me. here's the thing. I I actually thought about this when I was you know listening to the different oh, clips. I have to give you a lot of credit because Shiloh was like, "So, Greg, what does transfer mean for you?" And I would have been like, uh, "Right, right." A company and like you know there's da, 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 like he came up with this analogy, I did, and, which was so lame. But yes, I, 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 well, I, I, I think it's good. I, I, yeah, I respectfully disagree. Very applicable, just as long as you don't say the word pupil. Quite happy. Okay, so, but but you know what I think is interesting about it, Brandon, is. <laughs> <laughs> 
is, this is, is going to be the best ending to any that, episode ever. Is that, you know, you're not replacing process, the process. <laughs> or you are, I don't know. <laughs> I love it when Greg tries what? to bring us back into the script. <laughs> this is why I do what I do, and you do what you do. <laughs> <You're> crying right <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> we're, we to, and we're laughing with you. Yeah, so we're laughing with you. Not at you, definitely with you. Um, with and at. Yeah, and you know, and that was a, that was a really that was a great episode. It was. It um, was. You know, and that was one of those ones where you don't remember the audio, of the... the audio on that is kind of kind of sketchy. Like I think me and Steve's mic was like way off, and you know that was kind of the early stages, which is kind of fun, you know. We were learning. We didn't have Apollo 13 yet. We didn't have... You're kind of like a pupa. You're like all growing and learning. Don't do that right after I took a sip of my drink. But so I'm, you were saying, Brandon? I was saying that. That was a great episode. I mean, I, we, as I said, the audio was kind of off, which is unfortunate. But we were learning, you know. Uh, we were trying to figure that out. Um, we didn't lose the episode, which was a plus. That is a plus. We lost a couple of those along the way. One, not my fault. One, my fault. Um, but one of the ones that I actually did lose and we had to re-record uh, was from our Roadmaps um, episode. And Greg gets a little passionate. You know, he gets a little riled up sometimes. We talk about rants and so forth. But, uh, you know, the question of are we just uh, replacing one thing with another? So if you think about the word process, really what process is, is it's just really a, a history of artifacts of failures strung together to solve a problem. It's not really looking at root cause. It's actually really just saying we're going to just try to band-aid everything together and then put it, put it together. So it's the same kind of thing with, you know, with these these scalable uh agile process. yeah and we were talking about it with roadmaps back there and it was kind of <clears throat> one of those great like little divergent things where we were talking about roadmaps but then it was kind of like hey why why are we doing some of the things we're doing and i kind of want to play that clip real quick well and and again are you just replacing is is agile just the next waterfall and again i'm not bashing waterfall because waterfall has its place and all these frameworks have their places but are you just replacing process with another process i mean i think honestly this, again we're talking about agile after dark stuff that people don't want to talk about does agile become for certain organizations or individuals just the next step in their pmp and i probably would use that as the the best example mm -hmm. step it's like it's not principles anymore it's not frameworks and the whole point of agile is getting people to think for themselves it's getting people to think about what they're trying to do yeah i mean i, I you know, and I think when we're talking about Agile After Dark, right, this this is what this show is. And kind of I know I have to do some self-reflection where, you know, working with any person on any level in any organization, I kind of want to say when they tell me something and I'm just like my immediate reaction is like, oh, no, mm -hmm. you're not doing that. Right. We, ha we have to own that as, as an industry, as coaches, that we have, you know, facilitated that, that, you know, anti-pattern of, you know, just putting in a place, a different process in place of an existing process. Um, we haven't gotten to real transformation. <laughs> if transformation is trying to get to 
Craig, your, your analogy of a butterfly, You're trying to totally transform into something, into something entirely different, something beautiful and creative and that has whole different capabilities. We have to recognize frequently, no, you went into that cocoon and you came out just a different worm, a Dude, different so, colored worm. But what, so, Steve, let me ask you this question. Why do you think the tendency is to try to do the same thing over and over again? Why, why do we fail more often than not to transform? It we feed into it, you know, because we're we're trying to prov- you know provide a, a a silver bullet, a magic solution, you know, try this. Uh, but in but fundamentally, it goes back to the human human nature, which is we don't want to change, we don't want to transform, you know, and so we're looking for that. You know, the managers, the leadership in the organizations we work with are looking for that easy out of saying, okay, give me this formula to do this set of tools, this set of you know, practices to put in place and I can claim, you know, I can wave and claim the transformation flag and yet I really changed very little. And so you said that we don't really want to transform. And do you no. think that's because of fear? fear. Do you think yeah. it's one hundred percent fear? Yes. Yeah. To and be I, simple. Well, scary and, and being and being allowed to actually do the things that being allowed to actually own something and, and participate in something in a way that's not dic- dictated. That's scary stuff because then you're you're actually part of it instead of being a, a worker bee or a robot or whatever. Now, say another part of that is what we talked about before is that management debt, that concept of management debt, which is how have we gotten here? Right? Mm. How is has me as a leader, the world that I came up in, very different than what you're trying to transform me into. And it takes us. I had all the answers. I told everyone what to do. Because that's and, what was told to me. And then and then that's how I got to be yes. a director or a right. whatever. Right. And then and now you're asking me to trust right. everyone. But that's not how I got yeah. here. So as, right. so as a coach, what you're saying is really, as opposed to teaching somebody a set of rules or a process, you really should be approaching it from the, con- the, 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 the sort of approach of you're dealing with fear and guilt. Right. As opposed to like trying to just, you know, hey, if you follow this process, then everything will work out. But it really is a human problem. I think it, is what we're saying. It is absolutely human. And we have to focus as as change agents as we need to focus at transformation at the personal, the individual level. Only when it happens there with those leaders who say, yeah, I was brought up this way. I was I was, you know, uh, promoted because of these skills. Only when you can transform those individuals can you begin to transform the organization. And I'm going to do a count point and counterpoint on myself here. I'm going to start with, you know, I'm not one of those people that likes to cite things a lot, but um, Fowler. Really? Yeah. Well, from a, from a nurse. Nerd, there, but alert, I'm talking, nerd alert. Yeah, but I'm talking about it from like the other agile, you know, folks, which people do. And I totally get it. I kind of, you know, subscribed more to like the neuroscience research, as you well know, from my Get shows. to the point. But <laughs> fair enough. Land the plane. Land the plane. <laughs> so Fowler earlier this year uh, had a uh, speech, I think in Australia, and he had this concept of there's kind of this agile industrial complex. I mentioned on previous mm-hmm. episodes uh, this year, and that really points to this process replacing process where he was like, we never meant for us to say, if you're scaling to a certain level or whatever, here is a framework that's going to solve all of the problems every every single time. The silver bullet, Steve, right. right? You know, that was never meant to be kind of the answer. It's like we kind of came up with these principles and, you know, kind of theories and we didn't even have any frameworks around it. They kind of got built up from there. But for each 
from each individual team, they may need to approach it a different way right, right. for how they do it. Now, the counterpoint to that is, and I'm going to look at Greg, you got to sell something, right? So you're going to these organizations and you're saying- Do you? you do you really have to sell something? I, you, you do. Know? Well, there. so here's the, I, I would say, I would agree with both of you. Yeah. Um, My point and counterpoint to because myself. we actually do. <coughs> we're not a nonprofit agile yeah. organization uh, for those of us who work in that business. So you do have to sell, and there's a there is a true here. Here's what I would say to you, Steve. There is a true there is a true instinct to want to transform or a true need to know that you have to transform. So mm. it's there's an awareness. The problem is in the execution and the focus. Because if we are talking about okay. replacing process with process, which is what we do, because they because it looks good on a PowerPoint presentation, That's you can what put people it in crave. Spreadsheet. They want it has to be on a price list. It has to be knowable. Uh, it has to be repeatable. It has to be all that. If you're going to go, you guys, you guys really just feel guilty. Let's just do. We're going to do a little counseling. You know, we're going to do a little bit of that. Like nobody's going to buy that. That's not going to. Well, people do buy a lot of that, but not in the context of what we're talking about. And not maybe we should create a new product. That's a new product idea yeah. for me, by the way. Yeah. Don't cough on my product idea. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, I think that's really the idea is that you can't sell. We're going to come in and make you feel better about how you don't think about the problem. We're going to give you a series of steps that will show when you do this at this date, we will get paid a certain thing and you will pay the invoice because we delivered something that we said we were going to deliver. And it's all very noble and it's all a lie. Yes. Just put it that way. Yeah. It's all a lie. But- you that's what it that's business traditional companies have been struggling with how to sell agile coaching for a long time to that large is, enterprise company companies that's very true and because, i would say that most of them aren't doing a good fixed job fee, what have you and that's a really tough thing smaller, for them to swallow i do think the smaller companies who don't have the pressure do a better job of it because they actually care more about the principles to their detriment as a business that's why they're small <laughs> so so you you see how that works right mm -hmm. and so i think that's the conundrum is how and i think the interesting question would be can you transform a large consulting company to to embrace the fear and guilt concept <coughs> and cough medicine as well <laughs> um but pharmaceuticals. but you know what i mean if you, if you could actually get them to I, I always you know again i always go in and say at some point in time when i think the room is ready hey agile washes away the shame yeah and because everybody just realizes this isn't going to work out the way you think it's going to mm, and if everybody true. can just understand that and accept that right now we're going to get better much faster because we're not going to sit around making excuses for what we did or what we thought. And we're just going to be able to get on with the work, you know? And the challenge is that it is hard work, you know, to say, okay, I want to consistently get better. So putting in place, installing a new set of practices is easy, relatively. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's Agreed. not, yep. but it's relatively much easier than saying, okay, I'm going to pull up my britches every day and work at this and slog to try to get better. And it's not going to be a quick fix, an easy fix, which is going to be a long, you know, persistent day after day after day. Now, the rewards of putting on that mentality and that I'm going to continually make my business, my organization better is far better. But people like the status quo. Well, you know, it's like with me. Every day when I wake up, I put my pants on just like everybody else, Steve. One leg at a time. But when I put it on, 
agile magic happens. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> Unless you're a guy at the urinal. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing now. <laughs> Good one, Jess. We need a fourth mic. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, kind of transitioning into that. <laughs> Is uh, probably the the hottest topic that kind of comes up, and I think Stephen and I've had several conversations about this, and Shyla and I've had several conversations about this, and I don't think we kind of we don't totally disagree, but we don't totally agree on this topic, which hmm. is kind of the the mentioning the leadership, and we kind of started to talk about you know the management debt coming in, the yep. you know. Agile industrial complex of, hey, just give me a process, wave my flag, I've done agile, I'm good. Um, you know, and that very rarely, and I mentioned in a previous podcast, you know, I mentioned this to you, Greg, you know, very rarely do you find those leaders that you're like, yep, I will, fo- yep, I'm going to follow them. They're going to go company, company, where they go, that's where I'm going, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and those are the ones that are very self aware of themselves, right? Because they're able to change. Um, but, from that transformation uh, podcast, um, Shyla kind of puts that question to us. It's like, what what does good leadership look like? So let's jump into that. So let's talk about that, right? What is leadership? What does good leadership look like? What does it look like? Right? Well, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if I've ever seen it. So I hope you can describe it because I don't know if I've ever seen good leadership you know, including my own, which I've been coached a lot. Well, so so I, mean, I counter that. Optimus Prime. There's, well, yeah, yeah, Optimus Prime, of course. Right. <laughs> okay, so my counter to that is good leadership is right here, right now. We see that in, in ourselves, right here, right? It's our ability to co-lead a program like this, right? It's our ability to respect each other. It's our ability to align to a goal together. We might have different perspectives, mm-hmm. right? But we have a goal. And we're able to create followership, right, among the rest of us right here in this group. And that's what good leadership looks like. You know, ironically, she was talking about us as a team. And I don't, maybe it's not that ironic, but I think it was interesting that, you know, kind of doing that introspection, mm-hmm. right, that she could say, you know, and Charlotte doesn't... Uh, isn't around the Apollo 13 studio all the time. She's remote. And she does not pass out compliments easy. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. And, you know, we were all just kind of sitting there enamored, like looking at her. It's like, yeah, keep talking. Yeah, what she says is really powerful <clears throat> as far as what it, what leadership looks like, mm-hmm. what it takes. Um, so she's got it rear, it was just fascinating to listen to her and mm-hmm. her perspective on, you know, us as a team um, and, you know, what it takes to really have that leadership perspective and transformation. Yep. And what's interesting also about it is that you think of the word passive or active in leadership. And really it's, it, it's a combination of both because you yes. do have to be active. You, you have to have respect, which I think is the, the, the most important part, but you also have to be able to have, if you're Don, the leader of the group, you have to be humble enough to say, I don't have all the answers. And everybody on the team, oh, and SAS is included in that. Yeah. Um, everybody in the team, um, you know, has a contribution to make equally. And maybe there's somebody who has to answer the questions to whoever, which is usually not a fun job, by the way, for the leader. Um, but it, when it comes to the team, 
everybody it should feel everybody should feel comfortable to say whatever they need to and everybody should you know feel like they're contributing i like that you mentioned that it's both passive passive and active or i would say quiet and active yeah because that's something she shyla and i talked about in a coaching context is that coaches have to be very comfortable with silence in order to let the team take part and that i think that's true for leaders as well a good leader is comfortable with that silence to allow their team to step forward. You know, a poor leader is like, oh, I need to step in here all the time, you know, and is taking far too active of a role and not allowing their team to really blossom. And Well, I, I will say the, the way you put that, Steve, with my background in leadership, I have a really hard time with that. I have a really hard time with that, as you all know. Um, but I do. But you're absolutely right. That's that is so true, and and it it manifests itself in a lot of different ways, right? But it it, it is hard, based on your personality or based on right. the fact that you, you your role as a leader, you're supposed to lead because that's you know or manager. I'm supposed to manage, but but you're right. Sometimes it's just really about let. You're not the smartest person in the room. The people who are doing the work know more about it than you do. And what Jess mentioned earlier is frequently the people who are promoted into uh, positions of management, if not leadership, um, were promoted because they were, A, the smartest person in the room, Mm -hmm. or the most active person in the room, or the most vocal person in the room. And the most politically savvy person. Right. And and they were the most aggressive, pushy. You know, and that's not necessarily a good leadership style. Good leadership needs to know, I need to step back. I need to listen. I need to help my team move forward. It's a comfort with silence. It's a comfort with, as you said, passive. There's a passive aspect of allow my team to move forward. And that's really uncomfortable for a lot of who've been a lot of people who were promoted in that position. And it's a new skill they have to learn. Well, and it's the same thing in education, right? A teacher. Um, has the same, you know, yes. things. I'm, I'm standing in the front of the room. I have to be in the lead. And instead of letting the cell, the, the class help to learn themselves by standing in the back of the classroom, mm. the teacher is standing yes. in the front of the classroom. And, it, you know, it's, it's really about finding that comfort level and letting people explore, yes. you know, where their learning path, mm. whatever that might be. And I think as part of that transformation conversation, we kind of got into some of the self-awareness, but we also, uh, Steve had the question about uh, what if you have crappy leadership? Because we've been talking about, oh, Did he, he always, use the word crappy? He used crappy, Oh, yeah, man. Dude. Yeah, he I did. did. He yes. did use Potty that. Potty mouth Steve He, he did Thomas. say that, but again, we're talking about all these things that really make sense, and I really appreciate the way you, you, you said that, Steve. In fact, I think there's a future podcast in there in terms of the strength of silence in leadership. Oh, yeah. I could see, I definitely could do some nerd research on that for sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I kind of want to, that's the, that's the side that we, you know, we can get people there. Great. But what do we do when we don't get there? So I'm, I'm curious because you're selling me, I'm enraptured, but yeah, at the same time, I'm going back to Greg's first question, which is transformation gets overused and in the context of crappy leadership, as opposed to good leadership, which I'm thrilled. I would love to be where you've been and see this great leadership, but I have been in too many organizations with really crappy leadership, and is transformation possible? I know they all are selling it, we're selling it, 
is trying to do transformation in that context. Okay, but so here, here's a challenge for all of us here. Where does transformation truly start? And the answer to that is transformation starts within. You have to be self-aware of what's going on inside you, right? Even before you can talk to others and, and start making assumptions about their leadership styles and the results they have achieved. So you're talking about as a coach, you need to know? Absolutely. As a coach, as a consultant going in, you have to be self-aware of who you are, right? In the being, who you are, and how you need to change according to the circumstances. Okay. Shara has some awesome points there. Yeah. We really, as coaches, do have to take leadership. We have yeah. to be aware. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to be knowledgeable about our, who our own selves are yeah. and get comfortable with the same skills that we're asking leaders to get comfortable with. You know, and I think, you know, the interesting part of that is there's the struggle there, right? Because we've been hired to, quote unquote, be the smartest person in the room in a way. Right. We have more knowledge than the people that we're working with to get them to where they need to be. Presumably. Presumably. Not always the case with me. But um, at the same time, I think we've all experienced it where, as you said, Steve, we're able to, to input the right points of silence, put in the right questions, as you said, Jess, you know, mm -hmm. have some humility, you know, uh, Greg. You know, because we we tease you a lot. What was that about? What was that? Was that no, a shot? No, 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 no. It was a compliment. It was a compliment, actually. actually. God, I'm very, I'm very defensive. Yeah. Well, so so much for that humility. <laughs> um, that wasn't a non-humility thing. Yes, that was just a defensive thing. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. But uh, you know, something, I, I something about his pants being. Yes, down, that's you know? right. What? <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's you know. I, this is this is not something we're going to solve on a podcast, but I, I do think that, you know, the purpose of us doing this podcast is to kind of dig deeper into some of these things. And I, I've I appreciated that conversation with Shyla when she kind of, you know, said, I have to have this self-awareness. And I was like, because she's one of the smartest people I ever met. Well, by the way, she, she also in that podcast, if you remember, talked about her own journey yeah. right, to to get to that point of having self-awareness yeah. and and she would i think be the first to admit that maybe she isn't all the way there but she is aware of the fact that that needs to happen and i think knowing knowing her for as long as i've known her that's a, a big step and it's it's hard to do because it's 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 about admitting that you know you're not the smartest person or it's and it's about humility it really is you know well and and as she and i have paired the last several months i mean yes she's definitely still growing that's the thing that she does that really challenges me is she has such a hunger and thirst to continue to grow and grow her skills and grow her knowledge and grow you know her view of how coaching works how uh, how it plays with the system, you know, I've learned a huge amount, but she, yeah, she, she approaches it with a humility and a, a curiosity, a hunger to learn. You know, you know, what's interesting. I think about it when I was thinking it's this time of year, she was here a couple of years ago <clears throat> and we would get lost and drive in the heartland and, and, you know, we didn't have Apollo 13 at that point studios, Apollo 13, lost in a winter wonderland. We were, we would, we would get lost and drive and we would, we would, and there couldn't be two more different people than Shyla and I. There, there couldn't be two more different people. And we were paired together without consent and not by marriage, anything, nothing like that. Just we were paired together as coaches. And 
she, we both learned a lot from each other. And it was my, I was nascent into this coaching thing at the time. She had been doing it her whole career. And so it couldn't have been, it, it, it was, it was difficult, um, probably for both of us. I will just speak for myself to be together because I was so intimidated by her. And at the same time, she was like, well, how do you get away with what you get away with? Like you, you like, how do you talk to these people and how do you get them to do when you don't really know what you're doing? Which was true, by right, the way. Right. But it was an interesting, you know. Now I think back on it and reflect on it. It was an interesting pairing, which was, again, nobody did it on purpose, for the two of us to become aware in a very, you know, in a very uh, strong way about what our strengths and weaknesses were, and we grew together over that eight months that we were together. Would you say it was transformative? I would say that it was. I'm not sure the word. I'll let Shyla answer that question. I did well, more like a poopa. But I, you know, well, I started there. I didn't. You know what I got? I was. I kind of became an ugly moth. Yeah, I was gonna. Wait, I was, was kind of. I got to ugly. Moth he was like. Thing. He was like. I was doing pretty good as a caterpillar. She and was all a of butterfly, sudden, like, and yeah. I was. She was like. Eh, I could turn you into a moth. People like kind of don't shoo you away or slap you away. <laughs> They're like kind of feel sorry for you, but yeah. you know, you, you know, stop you, eating all our crap. Though. Yeah, and, you know, you're, you're probably good for stuff. Yeah, you know, like hey, they, you know, yeah. stop eating my flowers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so going from that, I mean, that, that was, that was beautiful, Greg. It was heartwarming. It really was. <laughs> I'm right all up, butterflies right, and pupas and <laughs> relationships. Right up, right up to eating the flowers part. <laughs> so, Better than eating the wool sweaters. I, I was just, I, that's where I was, yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit more destructive, but, um, so going from that and kind of thinking about from a more structural way how do you spell pupa is, that, <laughs> is it p-u-p-a <laughs> that's what i wrote down here p-u-p-a-e e. E, okay yeah. Thank you. it's a latin thing okay <laughs> that's plural too by the way <laughs> <Pupi? laughs> is that the plural <laughs> um singular maybe a-u oh yeah, yeah i think it is a-u um <laughs> So we had talked about that from kind of like looking at the individuals, individual leaders, individual, you know, people on the teams, individual people within the organization. But kind of if we are going to approach it from a larger standpoint, there's been kind of a debate about is there a better approach from a bottoms up, you know, work with the teams, understand their constraints, work on that, figure out where those constraints and working on the constraints on the way up, or is it, you know, hey, we have to get to those leaders because without them, we're not going to be able to make change. So we kind of talked about that, uh, and uh, we want to play that clip so that we can hear what we had to say. Because for me, as I've said in a previous podcast, I've worked with teams a lot, and I always kind of see when we see teams where they struggle, and then how that kind of then scales to the next level. You see those same kind of constraints or struggles. But it seems to me that a lot of the transformation has now been seen as we need to come in, we need to talk to senior leadership, EVPs, and make sure that they are bought in, and then that will create transformation. And I kind of, based on what you were kind of saying, where is that balance? Well, and go back to ad, to go back to your stealth agile. So, yeah. so what I read here is the perfect the perfect scenario, which I don't know if that ever happens. It but, does, it does. So there's wisdom in both sides of the story, right? I've lived both sides of the coin. Um, Stealth Agile is a great bottoms-up approach, but I've had my, you know, um, share of struggles 
it took two years to launch the, the stuff that was absolutely needed to bring kids into the Navy, right? Uh, and it was a knife edge cut over. There was no other choice, right? The guy that was maintaining the mainframe, it's a horrible story, but um, the guy was dying, right? And there was nobody else to do it. So it had to be. Yeah, I don't know. You know, Brandon, you and I were just looking at each other. I, I This is a hard one. I, it's The answer is both, neither, maybe. Like, I, it, it just, it's hard. I agree. I mean, I... My instinct, and this is where I was saying, like, maybe Steve, you and I agree, disagree on the leadership thing, which is, as long as, from the, I kind of want to believe more in the bottom-up approach, because as long as you just say the leader, just leave us alone for a little bit and let us do our thing, you know, I feel like that's, for me, a lot of years to recognize constraints, and then you have actual data to then go to them and say, here's the constraints. Here's mm-hmm. what you're actually dealing with. This is what you're, do you realize this is what the team is running into? Versus going to the leadership and saying, based on what we know, based on our experience, mm-hmm. this is what you need to change. And I would agree with you, Brandon. I mean, I think I, yeah. I, I think generally, if you can, if you've got good product management, by the way, I would well, put a caveat on this. If you have good right, product right. management, you can hold off the leadership until you can sh- show some evidence that this is working and they should buy in and then get their, you know, approval and it then bring them into the, you know, if, if you've got good product management, you've got good leadership. Well, and that's you a know, good point. And, yeah. um, so I will certainly concede that you give a far more success doing it from the bottoms up, mm-hmm. but invariably the, the organizational impediment, certainly in the large corporations I've been at, you know, we can get team agile working, relatively easily yeah, but yeah. it doesn't gain you the benefits it doesn't get you the transformation that we mm-hmm. talked about for the organization that really comes from a leader from leaders saying i need to operate in a whole different way and i need to somehow l- true leaders saying i need to orchestrate my middle managers so that they catch this new vision and again the team level is easy to do. Yeah. Um, relatively speaking, it's the leadership level that's really hard to do. Yeah. And no, yeah. you're. Yeah, I agree with you about that. But and it's a place to start. But I, I do think you're. I, I think the, the conceit that I don't like is that, oh, we're gonna go sell this, transformation vision to senior management. And they're going to buy off and then go, hey, I'm done. I already I bought I bought a transformation package. I'm done. Well, and if they've done that, then we haven't that we haven't uh, helped them understand what it really means because it means a a transformation as we talked about earlier of them as leaders a whole different way. They weren't promoted that way. They right. weren't uh, they weren't incentivized that way earlier. Right. Nothing. So they have to think about it a whole different way. And that, and that kind of goes to uh, kind of the next thing I wanted to jump into. It's not from the leadership, but it's also from the team level because we can we can do bottom up, we can do top down. But one, it's really surprising, and maybe it's surprising to me because I have the we do the episode with my wife, who's an industrial organizational psychologist, and so I kind of hear her world all mm. the time, and. Performance management is one of the last things in a transformation. I'm doing air quotes. It's a right, visual podcast. Right. When transformation happens, it's one of the last things that changes, but you can get the teams really hyped up and feeling like they're good about doing stuff, and you get leadership. 
But if you're still doing the annual reviews and right. how many widgets have you provided, all of that good progress you have completely goes away. So it's an essential piece that you yeah. have to do. But even before you do that piece, you have to get leaders who, yeah, they're they're you know in that system, but they have to catch a vision for a whole different way of operating. They have to go there under undergo themselves that personal transformation, and then yes, a quick follow on is that you organizational psychology how you were going to choose to incentivize the system but it's it's not a quick here's the problem it's not quick and and the problem is that you're saying we're gonna okay these teams are gonna work in an agile way we'll get some buy-in from leadership but then there were all the structures and i think this is what carrie and i were talking Mm -hmm. about when she was on there are all the structures within an organization yes. that are that are HR related, mm-hmm. which have to do with policy, which have to do with law. You know, I mean, and yep. and to change those is a very so. For instance, in in one of the example I'll give you is when we moved away from having teams teams have managers, direct right. teams have managers. We had HR managers who did the the functional work as an HR manager for teams, but when it came to review time. The teams reviewed themselves. Right, right. And that's how we did it because that made the most sense because who's better to judge or to rate the performance of somebody than the people on the teams. Right. But it was the HR department didn't could not understand not only hiring new people because the right. team all had to agree who was going to be hired. They couldn't agree. They're like a team can't they don't they're not trained. They're not a manager. They can't make decisions on performance. I was like, who who else is going to do it? Well, it's hard. But there's some inherent things within that. And Carrie mentioned that and kind of want to play this clip because I think we kind of dive into some of those things. Well, there's a shift from, like you said, annual performance reviews to having everyday feedback, you know, MBOs, more of a really having or flexible to the business objectives. If the business objectives are set at a quarterly or the annual stakeholders are getting updates on a quarterly basis, the goal should be aligned to that and achievable in that time so that they can shift as as the reactions or the financials are in and, and, and the budget, like as you mentioned. So that's really uh, where everything's going. It's just more bite-sized, more... Um, also, there's the peer feedback that you mentioned. So a lot of this multiple touch point, multi-rater feedback that's critical to getting just more data uh, as it relates. But there are challenges around the competitiveness of the environment and how what if I give this person that, what does that say about me? I, I, you know, I'm I'm egocentric in how I'm rating somebody and like what is it in relation to mm-hmm. the performance I think I'm giving? Yeah. Um, but but. In essence, the theory behind all of that is all these data points would then synthesize into a true understanding of, you know, say we're throwing the Russian judge out, or you know what I mean, like in the in the mm-hmm. ice, uh, you know, ice skating Olympics version of the events is that, sure, there'll be anomalies and and things that don't line up, but if you take the standard standard statistical approach, that it would. You know, in theory, all line out to but be it, an effective measure. Of it your sounds performance. it sounds so complicated. Maybe we need this is this the next version version two of this podcast. But mm-hmm. it sounds what you just described sounds, you know, like in a perfect world, if you could gather all that information and put it, it, it put it into some sort of measure that was easy for a human being to understand, that would be great. 
but it sounds complicated. I mean, right. how, 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 where are we along that line of, of where we are as, 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 as far as making it simple for somebody like me to understand, mm-hmm. the communist economist? <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea is that you don't have to... So do you need to understand necessarily everything that's in an algorithm to know that it produces results? So it's it essentially down. kind of it, like... Do I feel like we're ever going to get to a place where everybody understands what's happening? And does it, I feel like it's always going to feel a tad out of your reach or control because the point is, is that it's all coming together as a synthesized data point of like, I took all these different parameters and some of them were subjective, but mind you, the idea is that it's all objective, but we realize there's biases or things that come into play. Like I mentioned, the competitiveness or the, or or comparative, like even as a manager, well, like, yeah, X, well, no, or I like this person better. Like all of that seems to just net out in this algorithm of performance management that it is. So so the short answer is no, I don't want to get to a place where it's thoroughly understood, but I don't think we need to. We just need to be confident that it's coming out in a way that like when you look back at it, do I feel like that's fair. When it comes out with the output, do you feel like, hey, I, I feel happy and, and confident in what it's it's giving me is all you really need to agree on. So first of all, I take exception to your wife, Carrie, knocking my question to the ground. <laughs> Let's just start there. But she's absolutely right. It's not the right. first time on the first time podcast. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, that's true. And, and He's like, how dare you? Several times on that she's, podcast. She's absolutely right. Uh, I think about that. And it's it's... It is kind of the eye test, right? That's I think I was asking what I was asking, what I think she answered was, does it feel right? Mm-hmm. Does the result feel right? As a human being, does it feel like it's it's substantial enough? And I know Steve, you had some questions about what, that kind of conversation. Right, right. I mean, there is you do want to end up with a does it feel right? When we talked it when she was talking about, you know, gathering lots of information or from a lot of different data points, it's like I just struggle with the why. Why Why bother? You know, I mean, well, in a long career, mostly in large corporations who have tried and failed with this, you know, and the end, the end, it's like, well, it feels partially fair and partially unfair. Mm-hmm. And the more effort doesn't make it more fair. It just makes it more... You know, more effort. More effort. More mm-hmm. effort and more algorithms that pretend to be fair. Um, actually, humans are actually very good indicators. We have intrinsically in us a very good sense of fairness. Um, and so it's not actually hard to find. And w- just working at the small team level saying, okay, what should we do? You know, when Greg, when you talked about, okay, just, you know, HR says, oh my gosh, we can't let the team hire. We can't let the team evaluate. Actually, a te- at a small team level, that consensus is sufficient, you know, and so I question, um, I, I know it's going against HR orthodoxy and, and all of that, but I do question all of the effort, you know, if they want to do it, that's fine, but it's the, all of the effort and expense that gets put into this and what triggers, it triggers the, what Carrie mentioned, the artificial yeah. Uh, manipulation yeah. of oh I need to do this and if I got yeah. you know if I evaluate th- you this way you're gonna do this that you know me this way and all of that that comes into it yeah and I think it's it's, it's it's and that's that's why I was really kind of fascinating to have that conversation with her mm-hmm. because 
you know, IO psychology, although it's been around for a while, it's kind of becoming the more advanced version of what we kind of thought of as traditional HR. Yeah. Uh, and they're trying to solve some of the similar problems that Agile was trying to solve when it first came along, right? Which is, you know, we have all this debt for how traditional HR has been done, mm-hmm. right? And so the annual reviews, we know it's not good. Okay. Right. So how far do we go? Is it sunk time if we go too far in one direction? Where it's like, let's get all these data points from all these different things. Some of it may just be from team-related things, and you know, I've I've seen our business review articles where you have companies that it's just like simple things on phones. It's just like, yep, I thought this about this. You know, I'm in a meeting. Oh, this person had this great point. Boom, like, right. and it's you know, so you're kind of gathering data points without being a lot of effort. Well, and by the way, I, I would argue the team approach of hiring you know, a new team member and having all the team decide and doing the review, that's way more effort than it is. Well, in that same podcast, we, so I think the, one of the things that Carrie said, and you're like, oh yeah, which, cause you're like, yes, is exactly right. Which she was like, piece. she was like, well, all the team members would agree on someone. And she's like, well, a good candidate's going to be gone. Yeah. They're going to, they're not going to wait six okay. months for somebody you yeah. know, to admit, find the right person. Cause you yeah, know, yeah. you know, the de- developers would be like, well, we got to get the exact right person <laughs> yeah. and it's never going to happen. Yeah. Right. And she, and she made a really, that I, to me, that was what I remember the most about that yeah. was she's like, Hey, if you're in a competitive environment, a good candidates, they're gone in a week. Like yeah. you can't wait around and have every team member interview somebody, blah, blah, blah. I think Jess is going to say something. Yeah, but Greg, if you have the right team put together, I think that those can't, though, like your team knows that. Your team knows that right. there's there's a limited amount of time that, they're, that they have to make this decision and they want the best people on their team. And so if you, if you can instill that in them and, and talk to them about that, like, hey guys, here's the deal. We need somebody or gals. Hey team, we need, we need, we need somebody. We don't, we don't want to just pick any Joe Schmo off the street, but but we do have to make a decision and we have to have that conversation. We need to do it fast. They want to work with great people and they know that great people are, are going to be snatched up. They can get bought in. That's you're your team, you're team angel. You always you yeah. always love the team. <laughs> you always defend the I know, team. They're super smart and they love each other. It's great. I mean, I think there's, there's a balance. It's just what we talked about. There's a balance of inclusion. But there's also a balance of decision. Right. And I, I um, didn't get to work for them. I, we got to put in a bid for a subsidiary of Amazon. And they had a decision process that involved the team level. And it was fast. You know, it was consensus oriented. And it was very fast. And got everyone's opinion. I was, I was totally shocked. I was so jealous that I didn't get to, we didn't get to consult with them because I knew I would have learned a huge amount from that. How dare you gang up on me on my podcast, you two. That's it. (laughs) You're gone. You're never coming back. So, I mean, I think this is, you know, as as, Steve never would have hired me. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, you know, this is where going to the next year, I think there's a lot of stuff for us to, to build on. This is one of those, you know, to kind of keep digging into this stuff and getting new people on the show and bringing Carrie back for kind of a follow up on some of these things. And, you know, I I think that, you know, with the, the annual review doesn't work, it does not work in what we're trying to achieve in terms of creating an agile mindset. Right. right. Because it just kind of completely tears apart all of the things that we're trying to instill. Well, and then the, the, the opposite approach of having kind of, let's call it a, like a career counselor, a person who just takes care of your things, who 
that don't really know what your work is, I don't think that works either because that's too abstracted. You know what I'm saying? Greg's rants. Greg's rants. That's it. You've been laughing too much teen this episode. Angel, teen Angel. <laughs> that's your new northern. Like, it's called Teen Angel, but you're Team Angel. Team Angel. Because you a love 50s, the teens. A 50s song? Yeah, it's a 50s. I wasn't born in the 50s, <laughs> but I know the song. Okay? Mm-hmm. I listen to the front. I, by the way, I want to say something, and I'm, gonna, I'm broadcasting it to the public now. I listen to the Frank Sinatra channel on Sirius XM, okay? Yes, I have been accused of being an old man, but I listen to it proudly with the windows down loud, okay? So, Brandon, your next uh, next episode episode has to be something to do with Frank Sinatra. Like, like we have to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll make, I'll make it Because it's a work. pop reference that he's actually going to get. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> by the way, I only... Hey! I only by the way... Pop, pop culture. Pop yeah. culture hey! reference. Yeah, it's not it's not old pop. I only like the up to the early seventies Sancho. Well, Greg, I think now I think we were at fifty, but now we're at forty listeners after that. But you know, I'm sure all forty of them appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, sticking to it. Um, but kind of to wrap up, you know, we're all kind of coming from a, a coaching background, and you know, dealing with transformation. We talked a little bit about you know, leadership and so forth. Like how do we as coaches also have to kind of understand what we're doing, but you know, how do we make a difference in transformation with our clients? And we did a, an episode with uh, Danny D Danny Lopez, uh, which is about coaches versus consultants. And, uh, and we, we got into, it's not so much about, you know, being right, but being something else. What was it? <laughs> it was, it was, that's stupid. my own quote. <laughs> I know. What, what the hell was it? It was uh, stupid. God, I keep saying stupid. I interrupt you. <laughs> keep saying it. You might feel it and look it. So anyway, um, my point is a lot of times consultants get and coaches get caught up in this thing where they're, they're supposed to be right because they went to school. They've gone through all the training. And so we're about being right. We're not being about being helpful. And the perceived value of a consultant and or a coach is to be helpful. Stupid common sense and advanced common sense. Oh, yeah. No, just common sense and advanced common sense. Right? right? Yes. So <laughs> really, stupid it doesn't go on beyond that, really, if you think about it. So, Danny, in your in your experience, and again, I think we'll talk more about this in, in, in a future podcast around this transformation, is, is what is the value of an expert if they're just there barking out rules and being thinking they're being right all the time versus listening and trying to be perceived as being helpful to whatever endeavor it is, even if it doesn't fit a prescribed model or framework of the way it's supposed to be versus the way it needs to be adjusted or customized to the people you're trying to help. Right. And I mean, at at the end of the day, it's all about providing a really tailored solution for the client. So one of the first things as, as a coach for the first two days, it's like, only asking questions. We're not coming there and we're not imposing the framework upon people. We're just asking those powerful questions, being inquisitive, being curious, taking taking that that state of curiosity with our client. I think if we can get to that point, it's we're moving, you know, obviously there's going to be some overlap between consulting and coaching, but the the the, the mindset of being curious and asking those questions for the first two days is really really powerful. I'd say and I agree with Danny, but I'd say it's much past the first two days. I mean, it's a good thing to keep in mind when you're when you're first engaging. But I, I kind of wanted to end with that because I kind of want us to keep asking questions going the new year. I think this retrospective on perspective for Agile After Dark, uh, do we always hit it on the mark? No. 
We didn't. Do we always have the sound audio good? No, we didn't. Is Greg always distracted? Pretty much most of the time. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> literally right <laughs> He's now. literally reading his watch. Sorry. Literally As we talk. Right <laughs> As I was trying to, like, do this whole, like, kind of, oh, like, like, rah-rah like, you're, speech. You're doing kind of, like, this little like, holiday thing of, like, here was our last year. It, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Dick Tracy. <laughs> Now let's bring a 50s reference out. Sorry, I've got to go. There's a crime being committed. Is it a crime we can solve? If not, I'm so interested. If Danny were here, he could do it. But I don't know, guys. What do you think? I mean, I it, was it perfect all the time? No. And as I said, the, the audio wasn't always great. Sometimes, you know, our little bits were, you know, we tried them. Didn't always work. I was always but, looking at my stupid watch. Yeah. Yeah, I you know here's my feeling on it. Look, we do this on our own time after work, and we did it in earnest to actually try to again bring to light the things that we see that are in opposition to the conventional thinking that's out there today. To try to challenge the notions, challenge ourselves, frankly, yeah, right? Exactly. And and I think that it's been, I know, for instance, I've learned just. Uh, through working with uh, Shyla and Steve on their two topics, DevOps and transformation, I learned so much about not only the industry, about my own thought process, about my own um, pre-notions about what I thought was right or wrong. Um, so I've learned a lot by doing this, and I hope the listeners, all 51 of you, have um, learned something as well. But doing this has been you know, extremely important to me, just not because I like to hear myself talk, which I do, <laughs> but you know, it's been, it's been a, an interesting journey to kind of – because we don't know where it's going to go. I mean, Brandon does a nice job of producing a show, putting it together, but we don't really know where the conversation is going to lead no. us. No, it's not scripted. For at sure. all and and so we don't know and and so it's a journey for us all and it's it's a, you know it's an interesting i think the violins are starting to play from a nope. journey perspective i just wanted to say that you guys when i when i first started like when i first i, I started listening to this podcast before i was on it and i would i would be walking my dogs around downtown minneapolis and and this there's this really great bridge in minneapolis that i walk my dogs and I would listen to the podcast while I was walking my dogs. It's like a three-mile walk with the dogs. And I was the total weirdo that was, like, nodding my head in <laughs> vigorous, like, agreement while walking my dogs. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 like, that makes sense. Okay, wait, that makes sense. Let me think about that. And But I must have looked like a complete weirdo because I was like, yay, like, just the full-on nodding and, and, every And mostly time. when you were nodding your head, it was something because of what I said, right? Um. So I was not, <laughs> but it's been, like, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. And again, yeah. like just learning so much, um, from all of you and, and not just listening to the podcast, but learning even while we're talking is really fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like what Danny said that it's just, uh, we're still curious, yeah. you know, we're curious in our conversations, we're curious outside and that's, what's going to propel for another year because, there's still a lot we need to learn. Yeah. And, and our offensive line was really great this week. Yeah. And I credit them for yeah, doing 100%, everything. 100%. <laughs> the, the mics, they just stayed up the whole time. It was amazing. It, I, I don't know how they do it. No, you know, it's, but if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been here. You know, they've really, been, they really have to give the credit. They, they've improved every week. That, yeah. You know, yeah. The chords stayed exactly yeah. right where they were. 
Sass well, really, Sass really deserves the credit because yeah. Sass has been here the whole year. She has. She's torn down the studio at least three times. Yeah. Um, she's been our companion. Um, and on my long diatribes, she's abused everybody so they didn't have to listen to me. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. She's really the hero of the day. Yeah, she is. And, you know, Apollo 13 studio. It's still here. It's still here. And it still hasn't landed on the moon. Yeah, we're just landing hey, in the heartland. The heartland. Well, uh, we'll sign off for Agile After Dark for 2018. Woo! Yep. Uh, no, it was a long episode, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um We'll be back next year, but uh, always send feedback to feedback at agileafterdark.com, and we'll see you next year. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, no. <laughs> like you're trying to, like, in the gathering, you know, there's, we're going to have serious comment, and at some point I'm just going to say pupa. <laughs> That's, you know what? That should be, that should be our, our team. Unite. Pupa. <laughs> we all come together. One, two, three. Pupa. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh you know, gosh. I'm totally ready to do this now. <laughs> okay. okay, yes. Transformation. What a stupid thing, transformation. What if you have crappy leadership? That's what I want to know about. That's We have that. Well, you guys can just do a testimonial. Well, let me tell you about crappy leadership. <laughs> I'm looking right at him. <laughs> <laughs>